This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to My Favorite Murder. This is a true crime comedy podcast. Listen, you've heard it before. Look, you know and look, you know and look and listen and love it. You do this. We do this part. Yeah. You do that part. <laughs> it always starts the same, but with different words. But you always get confused every time. You must be reintroduced. You know, there's a lot of people in the podcasting game. They feel it's very important mm-hmm. that at the top of your podcast, mm-hmm. you establish what the name of your show is mm-hmm. and what the theme of that show is also. Always. And that's Karen Kilgariff. And that's Georgia Hardstar. We never do that part. We forget that part. And that's why everybody thinks we're the other person. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. But we're not. It's, we're the other person. It's very weird to both of us that you ever would be mistaken. That's right. About who we are. Because we are so into ourselves that we can't <laughs> imagine that there's any quality about us that is, is like anyone else in the world. No, we're such individuals. Mm-hmm. Truly, truly unique. I have a cat on my lap. Karen has coffee in her hand. Hacky almost of, of how truly individual we are. True. Um, George is wearing a little sundress that I got her when I went to Kauai. That's right. At the Kauai drugstore. I love it. It's so comfortable. It looks like a real dress. It's yeah. exciting to give a gift someone actually uses. It's a, it's a secret, not real dress. That I wear out in public, pretending to be an actually dressed person. Yeah. When really I'm wearing fucking pajamas. Yeah, you are. You know what I mean? I do. And I respect it. Thank you. Like, I can't get to the pajama pant thing yet that I see other women doing that I'm like, that looks okay. I could do that. I can't do that yet. You mean when someone's standing at, like, the red box machine out in front of the grocery store and they're wearing pants that have, like, Christmas trees on them and you're like, those are pajamas. No, not so much that. Because that's okay. You're at the red box machine. You're going directly home. It's the more like the, like, I'm at a cafe working and I have, like, the you can't I mean, there's a like there's a level of comfortable in your clothing that I just like that you can't wear in public to me. I don't know what you're talking about. Like you about have right to now. always be a little uncomfortable in clothes. That's why I change immediately when I get home. So again, just don't know what you're saying. Have never ever <laughs> ever felt that way or dressed that way. I'm getting there. Hence the stress. Join me I, in Slobland. <laughs> listen, you're married, girl. You have nothing. You have no skin in this fucking game. I'm the one that should be uncomfortable at all times. All I want is to burn every single bra. I've already gotten to no fucking underwire bras. It just doesn't exist in my life anymore. Ooh, I don't have a choice there. Right. Okay. Well, like I do. So, like, why am I still fucking wearing wires? Yeah. Fuck that shit, dude. Get I'm rid. Hundred um, percent. And with this dress, which is like got the scrunchy top up top, you know, so like. It doesn't, you can't tell. It does the work for you. Yeah, and then it has these little bows up top. So, like, I can't even wear a bra. It'll, you know, it'll show. It's summertime. We all have to go braless. This is a nightgown that should say, like, something, like a funny, like, quote on the front that I just wear around the house. How about, fuck you, I'm married? (laughs) 
That would be fun. But okay, immediately our new fucking t-shirt. I'm not kidding you. How many people would wear that? What does it have on it? What's the what's the like? What if it was just in real puffy letters like from the 80s like um you know, like it, it almost looks like a cheerleader drew it on a poster. Yeah. Like, fuck you, I'm married. Like, really excited and happy about it. Totally. Like, jazz, handsy. Yeah. I, you know, we might be cutting into the uh, bachelorette party game right now. Oh, great. Let's do a fucking line of bachelor fucking at party clothes. <laughs> Penises <laughs> everywhere. fucking at. Because <laughs> I was like, bachelor doesn't make any sense. I'm going to If you want to add something to the sentence that you said wrong and you say fucking in between, it just sounds like you did it on purpose. Yeah, that's your little conjunction uh, freight train car that it gets you it gets you back into the conversation are you talking about conjunction junction yeah okay. why what's your function <laughs> now boo hey real quick uh, speaking of merch hey, quick. speaking of merch oh merch this weekend's Labor Day weekend we're having a Labor Day weekend sale where a bunch of our stuff is on sale from the 31st of this month to the third yes go to myfavoritemurder.com and then go to the shop and I don't know what's going to be on sale but I think it's Cool shit. They're going to clear some shit out and then bring some new shit in. Oh, we're about to launch a motherfucking line of things that we've been asked about. When are you going to dot, dot, dot? Yeah, for two years, I would say. I am so excited about it. I think people are going to be into it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we both in this upcoming line have our own designs, I would say. That's right. Which is very fun. We both went to like our sources and we're like draw me a this thing <laughs> and they drew us a this thing in our own style so mine's like cute well i guess it's similar yours is to me very graphic yeah yeah like it, there's a real design element to it and yours is like chris fairbanks did it so it's like kind of sketched out and like cool and like skateboardery punk rock kind of a thing i said chris i'm from this dog town and the z boys can you design me something from my taste i used to skateboard i used to fucking rip up rails i'm karen kilgariff chris i'm all about ollies and i talk about them constantly so could you design me something Mm -hmm. from my world you know it's happening okay okay so we were um uh we thought it would be fun because one of our one of the things we love the most about this community of murderinos is how many subgroups have started on Facebook um, for all the individualized groups of murderinos. Because there are so many of you, you've decided to subgroup yourselves mm-hmm. um, according to interest. And so, by cities and stuff, which is like the best. You have so meetups. Yeah. If you live in a city and you're a murderino and you, you should definitely just go onto Facebook and look up and see because... We just had one uh, on Twitter. Someone tweeted, I believe it was the San Antonio Murderino group, Small But Mighty. They posted something. They had a meetup. I, God damn it. This better be San Antonio because I looked at it. I'm and sure I they had it. one too. Um, but they raised some money. Uh, they, ra- they raised like 250 bucks um, for it may have been in the backlog uh, uh, or are, Joyful listen, Heart. The facts are loose. The lo- look, my memory is not to be relied upon. But We're the loose point with is, facts here, folks. <laughs> yes, and you know that. Um, but people saw that on Twitter, and then all these people were like, wait, I need to know about this. I live near yeah. there. I'm so excited. There's some people near me. I have a page right here. I'm going to point to one. They're going to get a shout out this week. Uh, my MFM podcast Atlanta group. What's up? Atlanta. Oh, yeah. Atlanta, Atlanta shows up strong. Sure. Um 
Okay, well, I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna so go. we're gonna so Stephen printed out. We were like, print us a paper with all the n- names of the s- subgroups, all the subgroups, and he gave us like four pages. So we're gonna we picked a few that we really love, and we're gonna each name a few. But it's also we're gonna try to name all of them, just so if your interest ever comes up, then you'll know. Yeah, like for example, and this is all on Facebook, by the way, FYI. Yes, it's these are Facebook pages. Um, uh, the Simmerinos who are people who love My Favorite Murder and also are fans of <laughs> The Sims. <laughs> and, and they drew a... Or drew. They created, created. a beautiful uh, rendering of us. Three uh, Sims characters in the in the visage of Karen, Stephen, and Georgia. And Elvis, Mimi, and Dottie, which fucking I appreciate so much. I look like a character actor from the 30s who is 65 years old. Thanks for the face. <laughs> Whoever did that. Clearly not a fan of my work. I love my skirt. Uh, okay. Oh, I'm going next. Okay. Uh, murder emos. <laughs> Murderinos who are emo. Yes. Which I, as a ni- yes. 19 year old in 99, 2000, can wholly appreciate. And it's fun to say. Uh-huh. My favorite bad baby names, which is a subgroup, I guess, where they just share terrible baby names. As someone who has had so many boring desk jobs in my life, like I appreciate these because, God, it's so boring. Yes. And then you go, well, I actually do love that. I don't know why, but. And it's like, so like even like stay sexy and watch football. It's like, (laughs) I kind of love that because it's like, yeah, this is interest I'm into, but I don't want to talk to just fucking any idiot about. And I want to talk to like my people about too. And then we could talk about like crimes that happen in the football community. You could use some sort of metaphor during the game. Yes. That guy's running up the field like like so many and then just fill in the crime there. I don't feel like doing it. I don't watch football, so I can't do it. You do it. The Jeep Perinos. They all have Jeeps? They, they, <laughs> they have Jeeps. They love Jeeps. They work on I Jeeps. used to have a gold Jeep. And Did so you really? I had a gold Jeep Cherokee Sport. I bought it used. It must have belonged to someone who had a lot of money to throw away at the time and then got all that money taken away. Yes. It was like this beautiful gold two-door Jeep Sport. My dad took me and I was like, I want that one, like a fucking idiot. <laughs> and it had gold, like matching gold rims. Yes. It was like, it was gold on gold. It was like my baby. I love Wait, it. Wait, can I... Was the year like 93, 92? I didn't drive until 97. So Whoa. that would be great if my dad had taken me to get our car when I was 12 years old. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Shit. That's no, right. it was like 99 when I got that car. It was great. Gold um, rims, girl. Gold rims. First responderinos. <laughs> I would have joined that just for the stories. A hundred percent. Like you come home from a fucking rough shift. Okay, go on. Damn, those are. Uh, there's good stories on mm-hmm. there. Um, I like killing it. Murderistas which is people who are into this podcast and fashion. Oh, I was going to say baristas. Okay, I get it. <laughs> this one I get because I've been there. Customer service arenos. <laughs> Fucking tell me about it. Just flows off the tongue. Mm-hmm. I love that. I bet there's amazing stories. Oh, just complaining all day. I used to read blogs just of wait, wait staff complaining, and it was just the absolute best fucking thing. So good. Go. Um, hold on. Oh, drink arenos. Just... Uh, I'm with you in spirit. I'm with you in literally in spirits. 
uh, this one I like. Lawyerinos, stay sexy and don't get disbarred. Yeah, please don't. We need you. Uh-huh. Applauderinos, where apparently you go on there and they'll just celebrate. If you have something like that you accomplish like and you'd win. like some credit, they'll applaud you for it, That's which is beautiful. So sweet. Applauderinos. Uh, of course, we have library arenas, military. There's like the social work arenas, teacherinos, like the people who are like our fucking bread and butter. Yeah. Like, people getting together like our you know what is it called the salt of the earth yeah like our no but like our fucking people the people that are holding it all together yes thank you civil servants mm-hmm. oh also never forget complainerinos which i know we've talked about <laughs> on this podcast before but they just get on there and bitch and they allow each other to bitch and that makes me laugh i love it uh mental renos mental health worker murder junkies uh, well, that goes hand in hand with the bipolarinos. Oh, which if you suffer from bipolar disorder, yeah. then you've got some friends in the game. I dig that. It's like group therapy right there. I, that's an understanding, which is yeah. really awesome. Like Probably. I went through this, and everyone's like, "Yeah, we've been there." Yeah, fucking taken out. Oh, that's so nice. That's great. Um, I have to shout out the Murderino makers. I follow them on Instagram. They're just the people who fucking are creative, and like half the boxes that we haven't opened yet are like from these people who are making shit, selling them on Etsy, or just doing it for fun. Such badasses so good here's i'll do the last one stay sexy and join another subgroup <laughs> <laughs> people addicted to joining subgroups Wait, i don't can know I, can i do one more i'm sure thank you for being a friend arena <laughs> golden girl fans <laughs> yeah that's rad you can do one more i didn't want to top you but i have no no that. no that's fine okay that's fun um yeah so find your people uh, but then also stay here with us yeah don't Just, go don't go away don't go it's not over yet we haven't even started our do we have anything else? Um, I'm really into The Sinner this season. Let's talk about it I right mean, now. You get it. You haven't watched it, right? I fuck yeah. I've oh. watched every, I think I've watched every episode twice. Oh, I didn't know you were watching the new season. Why would I not? I don't know. I, for some reason. In fact, did I not have it be one of my things one week? It, the, the Sinner is the show that Steve's I was nodding, for. but I don't mean, no, that means yes or no. Yeah, yeah. It was one of her things? Yeah, it was your hooray last week, I think. Well, shit, I am not paying attention. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Don't look at me in quiet judgment. I looked at her in quiet judgment. Then I closed my eyes, which is really scary. If you're oh. trying to freak people out of mm-hmm. like not being Do happy. It to me. Do it to me. Oh, like a, it's a disappointment. Yeah, I have you. to go deep inside because I'm so hurt. No, to me, I'm a cat person. So that means that you're being, when you slow that blink. I love yeah, you. Like, oh, I love you too. <laughs> um, no, the, uh, my, I love this season so much that I know it comes on on Wednesday nights, yeah. which I never That's know. Tonight we should watch after. Oh, yes. What is the? What's the girl from? We should stop recording now and watch it. Fuck no! it. What's the girl from? Who is? Who might? I can't spoil this, but the the girl Carrie who's Hans? no 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 the girlfriend of the she cop. was from Mind Hunter. That's Sorry, Stephen, do you mind looking up her name? She was... Um, I just screamed and Elvis got real upset. She was one of the... She, would she probably, was the girlfriend of this fucking... Of sm- the cop in Mindhunter. The young hot cop. Yes. God, thank you. Do you know how much that hurts when you can't think of it? And I'm a person who can never think of it. I do know how much that hurts. And I know how much it hurts when you think Carrie Coons is in everything and she's not. <laughs> but she is in the center. Can I just say, next time you're watching... Uh, what's his name? Who's the best? Uh, Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. And he's in a moment of like thinking. Tell me that he doesn't look like he's trying to see if anyone just smelled his fart. Because <laughs> like I swear to God, he's looking around and being like, did anyone just like in this like, it's just like, what the fuck, man? But it's really like, did anyone just 
smell my fart. Well, because he also has a guilty, he always has a guilty little turn up of his yeah. mouth. Like he's smiling guiltily. Yeah. That's why. That's acting. You, and I'm sure and that's acting. If you can turn one side of your mouth in a different direction, that's acting. Let me, how's this? Steven's Am got I doing it. it? Am I doing it? Look at me. D- yeah. Oh, you're out. Can you do it without moving your eyebrow? Nope. <laughs> 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 it just went, it go. I look like the Joker. Right, do, it, do it again. Damn it. Hannah Gross. Hannah Gross is the actress who we don't know where she is in She's on the center. She's fucking Oh, it's a good show. It's um, such it's really set up well. I feel like I think this is what I said last week. It feels like they took the things that were were what they led you to believe was happening in the first season yeah. and now they're giving you all of that totally. mystery in the second it's season. It's like there, but it's like it's like creepier. It's so creepy. Um I oh, wanna, but I was going to say sorry. Yeah. Because say I sorry. Was, I was going to say sorry. Bill Pullman, the reason I've always loved him so, so much because his turn, his star turn in the film while you were sleeping. It's one of the best romantic comedies there is. It's Bill Pullman, Sandy Bullock. I haven't seen it in so long. Please rewatch. Oh, he's the brother, right? Yes. <gasps> and, and he thinks that she's marrying his hot brother that's in a coma. Oh. It's the best movie. It's the best idea for a movie. It's so charming. It's so Chicago. It's not Please stalkery? Watch it. No, no. Okay. Um, she's not... She, it's only not stalkery because she doesn't stalk him. He walks by her it's because she accidental. works at the L train. Okay. It's really good. Oh, right. Okay. I and also want to plug for two, last two nights I didn't drink, which is a rarity for me. Which How was that? I couldn't sleep. Yep. So I read a, one book in two nights. Yes. Good. And also it didn't help because it was a really fucking good book and I couldn't put it down. Okay. And it's called, it's someone sent it to us from some fucking publishing. Like people send us like books that match our shit and That's like, right. you know, whatever. But the, this one's like, okay. It's called The Innocent Wife by Amy Lloyd. Mm-hmm. It was, it like won the first book book that you ever wrote competition or some shit (laughs) (laughs) so it was her first book is chick amy lloyd and she won that competition yeah and it's like okay it's like this this chick falls in love this chick is like obsessed with this guy on death row who killed who got convicted for killing this little girl in his town and they start writing and she doesn't think he did it and they get married in prison he gets exonerated did he do it did he not do it what's her life like now is this crazy what's gonna happen Ooh. it's like really good and it's like his crime is it, it's a little like reminiscent like she took pieces from um west memphis three kind of feeling like yep. it's a hot name from it you know, you know the hot one <laughs> damon eccles damien eccles yeah it's like kind of like that's like it seems like that's the archetype yes but it's like about this woman that's fascinating marrying him and it's like oh jesus christ that <laughs> seems like a big mistake you know what i mean i love that it's her point of view yeah but it, no but it's also written from like they're also like th- this woman made a documentary about it because she thinks he's innocent and trying to get him exonerated like the movie and like so it's like pieces from the, that movie and it's fucking good i, I right. read it in literally two fucking nights can it's i borrow a, it yes you can have it it's a big book say the name again for the people the Innocent Wife by Amy Lloyd. Awesome. Good shit. All right. Good job, Amy Lloyd. Prizes on your first trip around. The first fucking fiction. And it's like. And who was she up against? Nobody. No. <laughs> <laughs> that year, no one else had written their first book. No, Amy. No, it's, re- it's like really fucking good. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound... 
means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of made-in products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, you're first. Is it me? All right. Hi. Good. Good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm not glad mad. Too. But the only thing I am going to say, which I know is, well, first of all, I'm so angry right now because I, every time I print up my thing, mm-hmm. I must have my um, printer set to something weird because I put in, you have to put in the page numbers so that you don't lose track of your pages as you read these yes. dumb things as we, I'm saying you, I mean us, One. I mean me. Um, and the last couple times I've printed things, the page numbers simply aren't there. Mm. Simply Form- as if I'm going to say formatting. It's a formatting issue. It's an insert issue. Mm-hmm. Um, Listen, as we told you, we're fast and furious with facts and professionalism and fucking night shirts. Yeah. And, <laughs> but not not pajama pants. What's the shirt saying again? I'm fucking um, married. Hey, fuck, uh, fuck you, you, I'm married. married. <laughs> fuck you, I'm married. I don't know if a ton of people have that feeling, but if they do, we want to be there for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um a hundred percent okay well, i i get it let's just go and then if these are out of order we'll just have to play by great then the story's gonna get weird Elvis. <laughs> i just called i just almost called steven elvis 
<laughs> Did you hear me go, El- Elvis? Record Steven, this you podcast. might have to edit around this. I'm used to it. <laughs> you might have to like take pieces of this and put it in the right order. Um, Elvis. Okay. And again, I uh, got this from uh, the first time I ever heard of this crime. It was an episode of Criminal. I'm Phoebe Judge and this is Criminal. <laughs> You're just fucking criminaling it up. Well, you know, when you go on a road trip, especially a show like Criminal, there's so many good ones mm-hmm. that I was just keeping a post-it note of like, look this up later. Yeah. Whoa. Who was that? That's Mimi. Okay. She likes to yell it out sometimes. <laughs> Okay, Mimi. Uh, all right. I listened to it on Criminal, but then I watched a um, a woman who is a professor and an author named Paula Uroboro. That can't I, be right. I think it is. Okay. Uh, she wrote a book called American Eve, The Birth of the It Girl and the Crime of the Century. <gasps> and she then, when I went back to re-listen to that episode of Criminal to get the facts... She's the expert on that episode. Well, what do you know? So it's all the same. I mean, she's the expert on this crime yeah. and uh, and what have you. Um, so it's the this is the case of the original it girl Evelyn Nesbitt and yes. the murder of Stanford White. Yes, this is fucking the craziest story and old classic, which I love. Okay, so I'll just do it as quickly as I can, and then I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> just kidding. You got, a, you got places to be? <laughs> and then you can do whatever you want. I'm going to fucking head out. She's going to go watch the center while I finish up, <laughs> while I do my murder. I have to meet Bill Pullman downstairs, if you don't mind. Okay, so this woman, Evelyn Nesbitt, was born, uh, actually Florence Evelyn Nesbitt, in... Tarentum, Pennsylvania. Just let us know how. Let us know how you I will. fucked that up. You will. Um, on Christmas Day, eighteen eighty-four. Although people aren't sure if that was the year because her mother faked her uh, age to make her seem older for the labor laws. Oh, um, that's a first. Old, yeah. So she might actually be younger than that. Um, she was um, declared the most beautiful baby ever to have been born in that county. Doubt it. Uh, <laughs> So doubt it, and also probably not that hard. Like, um, yeah, I mean, back then, yeah, babies were fucking. They're all splotchy and yeah, shit. You so you'd, if you just had one that was like kind of okay in the face, <laughs> they'd be like unbelievable. Put her up on the pedestal. Um, they literally had a pedestal in the middle of town. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, so everything was fine. Her father was a lawyer. Her mother was a housekeeper. And then he has a heart attack when she's 11 years old and leaves the family high and dry. So it dies or just leaves the family. Oh, he (laughs) dies. Back then, if you had a heart attack, you were immediately dead. There was no looking back. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Um, So yeah, he dies. Um, So her mother, her mother's name is Evelyn. So in the beginning of the story, Evelyn's name is Florence uh-huh. and her mother's name's Evelyn. Uh-huh. But I'm just going to switch that because she's mostly known as Evelyn yeah. and it's a hard adjustment. Yeah. Um, so basically, Evelyn, she was a seamstress and she was a dressmaker, but she didn't. She mostly was a housekeeper or a, a homemaker, I should say. And so she didn't. They were they were basically had to rely on the kindness of their family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so they stayed with relatives for a while and they kind of tried to keep it together and eventually people um got like a pool of money together that uh, and gave it to the family a kickstarter like they, they go funded the shit out of this family <laughs> at the turn of the century mm-hmm. and that enabled them to buy their own boarding house damn i don't know if that would be the move i would make um because 
Mrs. Nesbitt was so timid that she was uncomfortable collecting the rent from the people who stayed there every month or every week. It's like your one most important job. It's pretty much it besides providing rooms. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she would make her daughter go because her daughter was so beautiful and charming oh, sure. that she would make the 12 year old go collect the rent from people who didn't want to give it to them. Okay. The whole thing seems not super great for a child. Um, so basically that business ends up failing. They moved to Philadelphia in 1898 because they were from a small town outside mm -hmm. of Philly. Um, so they move into the city in 1898 and Mrs. Nesbitt gets a job at Wanamaker's department store, which sounds like the name of department store out of a movie. Totally. Um, she's a sales clerk. She also gets her two children, 14 year old Evelyn and 12 year old Howard full time jobs at this department store. Great. So everybody Make a living fuckers. Yeah. All y'all. Um, you got to pull down some cash for the fam. Uh, Molly. So one day there's an artist that's at the store and she sees Evelyn and she thinks she's the most beautiful young girl she's ever seen. And she asks Mrs. Nesbitt, can she sit and pose for me um, for a portrait? Mrs. Nesbitt's like, sure. Um, and so Evelyn does that and gets paid a dollar to sit for five hours <laughs> for this artist. Hard pass. But back then that was eight yeah, million dollars. Yeah. Um, so it turns out great. And that artist ends up recommending Evelyn as a, as a model to her other artist friends. So then Evelyn starts getting modeling work regularly. Um, Mrs. Nesbitt doesn't like it. It's a world that she doesn't think her young daughter should be involved in. Sitting for five fucking hours straight. Yeah. With a bunch of like bohemian red wine drinkers who were like, eh, let's all be free. Mm -hmm. um, but the family obviously needs the extra money. Evelyn loves doing it. She begs her mother to let her keep doing it. She, um, and she starts making so much money, she gets to quit her job at Wanamaker's and she becomes the primary breadwinner of the family. Yeah. Um, so somewhere when all this starts heating up, Mrs. Nesbitt decides she's going to move to New York. She got a line on some a good job where she might be able to be a, a seamstress for somebody or a mm -hmm. dressmaker. And so she leaves the two kids Ugh. with more family mm -hmm. in Philly and goes into New York City. Mm -hmm. um, but she doesn't get a job there because she's not as good as she thinks she is and everyone in New York is better than you at everything. We should all just accept that right now. <laughs> if you're going to move there, prepare to suck for like seven years. Um, so she ends up sending for her children. She moves in June of 1900. She sends for her children in November and they all have to move into this single room in the back of like a shitty apartment building oh, man. on 22nd street in Manhattan. Jesus. Those places were, what are they called? Tenement houses. Yeah. I don't know where 22nd street is. I'm sure we'll hear about it, but you know, it sounded shitty and turn of the century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but, but, uh, all the, all the artist friends that Evelyn made modeling and she had a good reputation mm -hmm. from Philly had already given her name to a really popular um, New York City artist named James Carol Beckworth. Beckworth, sorry. Mm -hmm. And uh, James Beckworth's patron was John Jacob Astor. Okay. And the Astor family was like the Vanderbilts and all those, the Tiffany's, all those super rich motherfuckers. They called them the 400 at the turn of the century. And they were like, it's like Great Gatsby style where yeah. they had, they were, they were oil barons, coal barons, railroad barons. They had more money than God. They had everything. Yeah. Um, and so she gets hooked up in like that real kind of the, 
basically patron artist scene. Um, so everyone's a little bit more, uh, I guess, uh, better at art. Highbrow? <laughs> yeah, classy. <laughs> um, there's less spitting on the floor. Uh, the, the fucking red wine shit is more expensive. Yeah, there's actually coasters on the tables now. Sure. So Beckworth takes Evelyn under his wing and he starts getting her a ton of work. And she starts to become one of the more popular models in New York City. She's making it there. Now she can make it anywhere. Um, <laughs> then she gets photographed by two of the most well-known photographers of the day, Ada Cerrone or Sereni and Rudolf Eckemeyer. Photos? Photos. Photography. <laughs> because they can, this is the change where it used to be that all those print ads, people would draw a picture of a lady, yeah. you know, drinking um, liquid cocaine and being like, cocaine, <laughs> it'll solve all your teeth problems. And it'd be like, delicious. But that would just be a drawing that, that they would pay an artist to render. From, I, that's so weird to think that they needed a fuck, an actual model to do that every time. Yeah, because, but remember those like, and I'm thinking of this as like we the, in the 70s, a lot of people had like this turn of the century wallpaper in right. their bathrooms that was like advertisements. Yeah. So it'd be like, old I'm time. sorry, advertisements. Oh, an advertisement from New York City. Oh, um, but it was like the ladies with their hair up yeah. and drinking something or wearing a corset or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so they were kind of really realistic yeah. looking drawings. Yeah. But then. Uh, photographs started being like mass produced and they could they could replicate the photographs and that's right when Evelyn like Ugh, basically hit the hit thing. so she basically became supermodel it girl like before she was the first wow um so she modeled for Vanity Fair. She models for Harper's Bazaar. She models for the Ladies Home Journal. She models for Cosmopolitan. Um, she does ads for toothpaste, hand creams. She's on sheet music. She's like, you what? know, the drawing on the front of yeah. sheet music. Um, she's on beer trays, which are like, damn, you know, those. Um, <laughs> damn shit. That's my dream to be on a beer tray. <laughs> she's on tobacco cards. Have to look that up later. Don't really. Stephen, will you tell us what a tobacco card is when you get a chance? Maybe it's a little like a baseball card, but it comes in your yeah, loose yeah, yeah, tobacco yeah. or something. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Of a sexy lady. Yeah. Um, she's on pocket mirrors and postcards, and she's the picture on the top of the Whitman sampler box. Wow. Which is super famous candy. Girl is killing it. Yeah. She can't. So um, she made. Uh, twice what other models of her day made. Wow. So she really was. Um, so when she's 16, so she's still in her early yeah. teens. Um, she does, she does all that. She's like, everybody thinks she's the most beautiful woman. And you'll, you can look her up, but I keep thinking, I kept trying to put my finger on who she looked like. She really doesn't look like, like I was trying to cast her like mm -hmm, I like to do. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't look like anybody, but she reminded me of that kind of weird beauty that Winona Ryder had as a girl. Mm. Where you're like, oh my God, all your features are just so perfect mm -hmm. and kind of big. Um, yeah. And you can just tell she's going to be insanely gorgeous. And yeah. she, she has, Evelyn has the same kind of face, but almost like a little bit more patrician, a little bit more refined. So she can look in one picture, she can look really, really young. Mm -hmm. And then there'll be another picture where she's like almost naked and she looks really seductive and she looks re like, like, like she's in her twenties. Um, so she's, the girl's got range. Steven, let's cut Steven. to Steven. Steven. Uh, so tobacco cards let's are. Cut to Steven. <laughs> Live on the scene. Steven. 
in Milwaukee. Yes. Uh, cigarette cards or trade cards basically issued by ma- tobacco manufacturers to stiffen cigarette packaging and mm. advertise. So they had like baseball players, beauties, boxers. Um, and then in 2007, there was a card sold for $2,350,000. Who was on it? Um, just uh, a featured Honus Wagner, one of the great names in U.S. baseball. Sure. Yes, Honus. Oh, good old Honus. God, he's gorgeous. He's got he the cojones. <laughs> Honus was so much more beautiful than Evelyn. She always hated him. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like, it's like Marlboro Miles. What were those? Yes. <laughs> Joe Camel Bucks? Yeah. Yes. So filthy. Okay. So she, of course... Because she's a teenager that's a model, she wants to go into acting. So she, uh, this is when she officially changes her name to Evelyn. And she's like, sorry, mom, you don't exist anymore. Mom's (laughs) like, this isn't a problem for us at all. So she gets cast as a chorus girl in uh, the most popular play on Broadway. It's called The Floridora. But she's so beautiful as a chorus girl, she's upstaging the leads of this play. Stop it! Hey! She's just radiant. Evelyn! She must have been vegan. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She must have been drinking cocaine (laughs) She must have been loving that tooth cocaine Uh, So a man named Stanford White He goes to see the show 40 times Jesus And he's obsessed with Evelyn And he's quite the expert on chorus girls Um, Great Stanford White Um, he's the most popular and prominent architect and designer in New York City at the turn of the century. He designed, um, now Phoebe, our, our hero Phoebe Judge Uh says that he designed the original Madison Square Garden. Wow. But then I read on Wikipedia, he designed the second version of the Madison Square Garden because there was like one and they built, knocked it down. Are you going to believe Phoebe Judge or are you going to believe Wikipedia? Wikipedia. Yeah, I don't. I I love them both so much. I don't know who to True. choose. They've um, both done so much for us. <laughs> they have. But here's here's what I will say. At this time, the Madison Square Garden that was there, mm-hmm. um, that this guy built, mm-hmm. whether it was the first, whether it was the 30th. It been, yeah, who cares? He's the one that put up the big screens in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> there was a tower on this Madison, this iteration of the Madison Square Garden. There was a tower, and on top of the tower, it kind of looked like a, a bell tower at a church. On the top of this tower, there was an eight-foot statue of Diana, and she was, um, she's like, um, doing some archery. She's uh-huh. got a bow and arrow, uh-huh. and there's a long, um, beautiful, long, like, looks like a piece of material that's just kind of flowing out behind her. Uh-huh. But other than that, she's totally naked. Uh-huh. And there were people that were <gasps> real fired up about that not being there and um, not being able to be seen. Wait. Oh, they didn't want it there. They didn't want a naked lady to be up on the top of Madison Square Garden. Calm down, everyone. They were so pissed about it uh-huh. that the... Because um, this is around the time... So, And this is uh, straight from criminal... In the Civil War, there was so much, there was so much pornography left over from the Civil War oh. that all those soldiers were like, "Can you please send me some boobs, please? Yeah. This is the worst situation. Yeah, yeah. And I need to look at some ladies' parts. There was so much of it that it like littered the streets after this uh, Civil War. Sounds ended. like Las Vegas right <laughs> yes, now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So they did in 1873 they passed something called the Comstock Act which um, prohibited obscene material from being sent through the mail oh, so right. they could people couldn't have that anymore yeah, yeah, yeah. but artists got around and like basically they basically just made everybody like a Greek 
um, oh, from Greek myth. It's not pornography. It's art. It's Diana. It's Lady Diana. Yeah, nope. exactly. Um, so, the, and, and, you know, when you see this statue, it's gorgeous. I mean, and it's in some museum somewhere so you can see it. But it really is beautiful. But there was... There was this, um, after the Comstock Act, there was this kind of like push in Manhattan to like clean up the city of vice. Mm. And so at one point they had that statue of Diana covered like so that she was wearing this big, <laughs> this big, <laughs> was it a nightshirt? Thing. Yes, it was, it was, it was pajama bottoms with Christmas trees on them. Um, She's standing in front of her red box <laughs> machine. They took the bow and arrow out of her hand and uh-huh. put a, a DVD in it. Um, so basically the, at this, at the time, this was, they called it the Gilded Age and that, uh, Mark Twain, it's a quote from Mark Twain because he said, and this is, you know, this is along those Great Gatsby lines, but like Mark Twain called it the Gilded Age because he said this on the surface, it was shimmery mm. and shiny and it was absolutely rotten underneath. Yeah. So there's a lot of like, you know, the richness and the beauty and you think of everybody as like Gibson girls riding their bikes and mm-hmm. everything's really proper and high necked mm-hmm. and whatever. And shit. But there was some filthy shit going on. So uh, back to Stanford White, he he designed Madison Square Garden in this iteration, only the one I'm talking about. Uh-huh. He also, he designed the arch in Washington Square Park, mm. which they had put up for Washington's, this 100th centennial of his inauguration. Uh-huh. Uh, and everyone loved it so much, they left it there. I've seen it. It's him. That's that's our boy, Stanford White. What's up, dude? He He's good. He also, um, he designed mansions for the Vanderbilts and the Astros, the 400. There's a really great Instagram account called Mansions of the Gilded Age, Gilded Age yes. that a lot of the fucking uh, houses that they show. And this guy, whoever it is, this guy or girl, like knows so much about them. And it's, yeah, there's a lot of those. You know what's really cool? There's also a, there's a documentary called The Cruise. And it's about Timothy Speed Levitch, who is this amazing gray line bus tour guide. And he walks. Oh, yeah. It's such an amazing documentary. If you haven't seen it, please, please find it. I've seen it. It's great. It's amazing. And basically, it's like, I don't know anything about architecture. I get very scared when people start talking about things like that because immediately the voice in my head goes, you didn't go to college. You don't know what, hmm. you don't have any appreciation for this and you can't. I'm the opposite where I, I know I can just go, that's fucking beautiful. Or I think that looks stupid. <laughs> that's all you really need to say. It's true. But like, I th- always think, well, I should know why something's beautiful or how it's making that. And if you watch that documentary called The Cruise, it's a person who loves architecture mm-hmm. and the city so much that he can explain everything. And he talks about like they used certain stone so that when like the noonday sun Ugh. would come down those corridor yeah. streets with because high rises were such a new yeah. thing in New York City, they would make they would pick rocks that would make the light like gleam, gleam and glisten, glisten. And like you would people would stand there. It's just amazing. Um, so this guy was obviously a big part of that sure and you can look he he also made he built a lot of clubs because he was like so they said he had like at least 60 projects going 
at all times. Mm-hmm. Six zero. Mm-mm. It's fucked up. Pass. Um, for real. I want to so, nap. <laughs> so, so he had his hand in like, cause he also designed, he didn't just build the mansions for the millionaires and billionaires, but then he would do the interior design. Jeez. He had all these like big concept things that he would do for people. It's really cool. That's a whole like separate podcast. I'm sure there's someone that's done it really well, mm-hmm. but he also built all these clubs because the rich, at the turn of the century, it was all about like the different clubs you belong to. Mm-hmm. So it was Private like clubs where you could like talk about being rich and shit. That's right. Smoke cigars and then hire children. Um, <laughs> there was the Metropolitan Club, the Colony Club, the Harmony Club, um, the Union Club. Just so many places where white men could be themselves and finally relax. Finally. And just be rich in a room yeah. with other rich men. He d- And so he was the architect for all these buildings. He was also known for having lots of relationships with young chorus girls because he loved to party. So he could party with anyone. He partied with super rich people. Obviously, they adored him. Mm-hmm. But also, he was an artist truly at heart. So he also hung out with bohemians and artist types. So he could kind of party with anybody. He was adored across the city. Mm-hmm. And he is the person, if you've ever heard people make the joke of uh, saying, would you like to come up and see my etchings? Oh, I've never heard that. It's like, a joke is a strong descriptor. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, that is a thing like people, it's a joking pickup line of yeah. like, would you like to come see my etchings? Mm-hmm. That's actually attributed to Stanford White because he would really say that to these young wow. girls okay. um calm down dude right so keep your etchings in your pants so <laughs> essentially he goes he sees evelyn as the chorus girl and he asks another chorus girl her name was edna goodrich he says basically get her get evelyn and bring her to my apartment on west 24th street that was uh built over the original fao schwartz toy store mm. And this was one of his many apartments around the city. He called them his snuggeries, mm. where he would meet chorus girls and have fun, sexy romps all day and night. Oh, honey. So the two of them show up and Edna pulls Evelyn through this side door and they go up and it's this amazing room and it, it's got all the exterior light is blocked out by big old red velvet curtains and there's a table set for lunch for them and they drink champagne and then after they hang out for a little bit and chit chat and uh, Evelyn when she first sees him thinks he's horrifying (laughs) she he's super old and like super creepy he's got red hair and a humongous mustache Mm -hmm. and she's just like no thanks Mm -hmm. but they have some fun and then he goes oh i have to show you this other room and they go up two floors Mm -hmm. into this room that's uh that basically has a red velvet swing hanging (gasps) from the high ceiling and he asks evelyn to get on the swing and then edna holds a parasol up on the landing or whatever Mm -hmm. she's up near the ceiling and evelyn is supposed to swing on the swing high enough so she can kick the parasol and kick through it that doesn't sound safe well, and also, it's just so he can perv out and look up her dress. Ew! Because uh, it, it's just him watching a young girl, like, swing and kick and whatever, uh, but it's all, like, underpants. Sure. It's an underpants show. Undergarments, then, I think. Right. Um, so it's <laughs> underpants show. It's underpants show, and I don't like it. She thinks it's just an innocent game and that she's having mm-hmm. good times with an old guy. So then, Stanford White, Stanford White 
starts kissing up to Mrs. Nesbitt and basically is like, I'm going to be, I'm going to take care of this family. Uh-huh. Here's some money. We're moving you into, into a nicer apartment. Uh-huh. He ships the little brother off to a really high end military academy uh-huh. and takes care of his education. And he tells Mrs. Nesbitt she should go visit her family in Philly. She should take a break from work, go visit family. And while she's gone, he'll take care of Evelyn. Goodbye. Right. Mrs. Nesbitt's like, thank you so much. I've been waiting for years to get away from my children again. (laughs) Can't wait to once again bail on my children. So the next day, uh, Stanford White tells Evelyn that they're going to have a fun day of modeling for a photographer. I bet they are. He's got a bearskin rug. You can see these pictures. And this is in the um, YouTube video that I watched of the woman Paula Uru. Buru, <laughs> uh, who wrote American Eve, and she has these amazing pictures. He has a like a polar bear skin rug. It's a white bear uh-huh. with the head, and it's a really. It turned it, it. It became a really famous postcard of Evelyn in a kimono, asleep on this rug, passed uh, out. Well, yeah, drugged. It's essentially. I mean, she's out like a light, and it's just basically a picture of a girl sleeping on a bearskin rug. Yeah, it's like uh, the original Annie. Uh, those photos from the nineties, and with the babies and the fucking. <laughs> What are the Annie? What are those? Like a baby with a piece of cabbage on top yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. What does Stephen know? Oh, Annie. Uh, come on, Shit. friends. No, I know exactly friends what you're family. talking about. Family, if if I get it, uh, Annie. Everyone's screaming at home. And Gettys. And Gettys. <laughs> All I can think of is little orphan Annie with the big white eyes with no pupils. And I'm like, it's not her. I just want to say that Steven didn't think of that himself. He had his phone. <laughs> I looked it up. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to give him. He doesn't get any credit for you remembering that. no credit for Anne Gettys. <laughs> or those Weimariners that had human hands. Oh, no. Remember that? When they were like eating spaghetti. I loved those videos. <laughs> so good. Okay. So, uh... Family's gone, right? Okay. He says, oh, I already read that. Um, okay. She's sleeping that on po- a thing. That postcard becomes crazy popular. Postcard. So he in- he then invites her back to a party. He says, I'm having a party tomorrow night at my apartment at the top of Madison Square Tower. So underneath that statue of Diana, there was like a little like penthouse apartment that he had built into that building Dude. that was his. So he's like, come Cap. to my party. Everyone's going to be there. Anyway. So she shows up. There's no one there. And he says, oh, isn't it sad that everyone turned us down? Mm -hmm. So now he's... Red flag. Red flag times 20. She should be like, oh, my God, I have to really quick go tell the cab driver something. Yeah, let me look at my watch that's made of... um, What was that stuff that... that, Opal? No. Hold on. Uh, Shit. Wait. Wood? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) No, it was called... uh, Luminous. Uh, God, I can't remember. <laughs> you, this might be too early for that shit. You mean the stuff that people lick yeah, and then yeah, they yeah. got the terrible. Yeah, disease? yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's too early for glow in the dark shit. That was World War One. You're right. Shit. Don't try to pull your World War One references into my story. <laughs> okay. So he starts pumping her full of champagne. Okay. And then he says, "I have this room. I have to show you. It's you're gonna think it's amazing." <sighs> once again, this fucking guy. He. Brings her into this room that has a mirrored floor, mirrored what? ceiling, a mirrored bed. No. A four-poster bed with mirrors all around it. And Evelyn says in her um, autobiography that basically she looked at all of that and that's the last thing she remembered. <gasps> 
and she woke up naked next to him <gasps> in that bed the next morning. She sees her reflection in the overhead mirror and she screams. Ew. Uh-huh. What a creep. Super creep. So essentially from that day forward, she becomes Stanford White's mistress. No. But she's 16 years old. He's 48, I think. He it's not a it's not a fucking love match in any yeah. way. Um and they they said in that episode of Criminal they said at the time the only way to prove rape was uh if there was evidence that you fought back. Ugh. That was the only way. And then after after basically this era in time, that's when they put in the um statute statutory rape uh laws. Okay. But, you know, before then it was every man for himself. Jesus. Every woman for herself. Right. Um and okay. <laughs> so then he says, basically, I'm going to get you connected with even higher classes of artists. And that's when he, in 1905, Evelyn poses for Charles Dana Gibson. And he is um, the artist who basically invented the Gibson girl. Mm. And the Gibson girl is basically, if you've ever been to the ice cream store at Disneyland, the wallpaper is Gibson girls. Mm-hmm. It's the really beautiful woman. And he basically drew, it was, it was at the time, like the ideal modern woman. So so she was usually like um, a socialite of some kind. Um, she was usually statuesque, mm-hmm. healthy looking, mm-hmm. riding a bike, doing things of the day, mm-hmm. um, whatever was popular, playing tennis or something. And she um, y- and yeah, basically, it was just kind of the representative of a, like, this is the, the ideal, ideal woman. Yeah, the like what you should strive to be. Right. So he draws Evelyn. Um, and he draws her in a portrait that he ends up calling the eternal question. Um, and that's because Freud, there's a famous quote that Freud said, um, the eternal question is, what does a woman want? And so it's this really beautiful, uh, profile picture of Evelyn and her hair is partly up, but then it's also partly down. And only young women wore their hair down. And then when you were older, married or mm-hmm. mature, you wore your hair up. And so she was kind of like this half and half. She looked young. Not but yet she, a girl, but not, not yet, yet a woman. woman. And it is that kind of thing of like, what does this modern woman want? Mm. Because it's because they're changing so quickly. Mm-hmm. It was on the cover of Collier's magazine. And basically that it was the picture that Coca-Cola ended up using in their ad. Yes, I totally can see it in my head. Yeah, you can you've seen you've seen her. Yeah. And so it branded her as the it girl and the face of the Gilded Age. Wow. So then she turns 17 and she starts noticing that Stanford White is paying attention to younger chorus girls. Mm. So she's aged out of his bracket. Um, he's three times older than her. And she's still like, oh, no, I'm losing my boyfriend. Ugh. Because by this point, he, she's kind of in it. She basically just is she. she it's whoever is there yeah, yeah. kind of like caretaking. Yeah. And yeah. if they're millionaires. Yeah. And she's he, relying on them. Yeah. And she's and relying on them for her career as well. Totally. So um, she decides since he's seeming to lose interest, she decides that she's going to. Um, try to make him jealous. So she goes to a party and she meets um, John Barrymore, who eventually will become one of the most famous actors Jeez. from this insanely famous acting family. But at the time, he was Jack Barrymore. He was just a cartoonist mm-hmm. and he hadn't like become famous or anything. Um, but they hit it off. He at this party 
And she's like, oh, this will be good because then I'll make him jealous and then I'll be good. But she also liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, he asked for her number and writes it on. She's like, it's three. Because <laughs> back then. <laughs> it's uh, Butterfield 35,000. <laughs> um, when he writes her, her number down, he writes it on the cuff, on his cuff of his shirt. Cute. And then it's on. Yeah. I know. I really like that. Um, they have a month long affair. He proposes. She turns him down under pressure from Stanford White and her mother. Mm. So, like, he comes in and says, no, you shouldn't get married. No. But he's also ignoring her. Yeah. Um, Then he basically, when they realize that she's starting to do stuff like that, they arrange to have her sent to an all-girls boarding school Mm. in New Jersey that's (sighs) run by Matilda DeMille, who's Cecil B. DeMille's (gasps) mother. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it goes all the way to the top (laughs) and it always comes back to liberal Hollywood. Um, but at that point, I bet you, Evelyn was like, it'd be nice to go to school. I'm 16. I wonder, or are you like, you want to send me to fucking school now (laughs) after all I've been through? Like, can you imagine going to hang out with like other girls your age? And you're like, what am I supposed to fucking talk to these girls about? Yeah, that's right. Have you guys been in a mirrored room? It's really scary. <laughs> um, okay, so before she gets shipped away, she is currently in a Broadway play called The Wild Rose. And in the front row every single night is mm. a new admirer. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. And he is a mysterious man called Mr. Monroe. He starts sending Evelyn flowers, stockings. He one time sends her a piano. Jesus. <laughs> she sends it all back. One time she sent... He sent flowers, roses with a $50 bill wrapped around the base. And the mom kept the $50 bill and then sent the flowers back. Uh huh. But she basically, he, in the almost exact same way Stanford White did it, he gets another chorus girl to get Evelyn to come to lunch with them and basically says, I'm the one that's been sending you all this stuff and I'm this huge fan. And he kisses, um, he kisses the hem of her garment and like declares this love. And she's, once again, it's an old guy. He's twice as old as her this time. And she's like not into it. And it mostly because he is the the eccentric millionaire, Harry K. Thaw. Um, So basically, Harry K. Thaw is from uh, a I believe it was a coal and railroad baron millionaire family. Um, He was from Pittsburgh. Uh, he was set to inherit a $40 million fortune. Wow. I thought I thought a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Go on. Just if you could see the pride in George's face when she thinks of these I things. Thought, I thought. I thought. I thought. Get it? Because the thaw, his name is Thaw. No, I got it. Um, <clears throat> I, mean, I mean, great job. He gets kicked out of Harvard. Uh, he gets kicked out of law school. He does the kind of stuff around town. So he's basically the Philadelphia millionaire that's trying to make it in New York City. And everyone's like, okay, crazy. So he rides a horse's, a horse up onto the steps of the Union Club. He's lighting his cigars with hundred dollar bills. Oh, he sounds like a douche. Yeah, he's douching it up. And Stanford White's like, no. So Stanford White won't let him in any club. Good. There's like a di- kind of a direct link of like, Stanford White's on the way inside of yeah. New York society. And this guy's trying to get in and everyone's like, I mean, man, that crazy guy from Pittsburgh. Yeah. He's a huge nerd. <laughs> Evelyn still goes away to boarding school. Oh, sorry. This is key. I'm catching up on my own page. I, I really love the thing of using a $100 bill to light your cigar 
in that at the turn of the century would be like using a twenty five thousand yeah. dollar bill now. Yeah. It's so much money. It's I hate him. It's very wasteful, sir. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also funded a vice sweep of Manhattan. It, and he basically was, he was obsessed with virginity and obsessed with like chastity. And was he Rudy Giuliani's fucking great grandfather <laughs> or something. <laughs> we can trace him back. And he was basically paid for the, the coalition that ended up getting that Diana statue covered, uh, it was his crazy money behind and it. And meanwhile, he's sending a fucking 17-year-old pianos and shit? Well. Okay. And and then some. And then. Because, get ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Give it to me. So she just thinks he's creepy and weird, and she goes off to the all-girls school in New Jersey, and then she gets what is reported to be appendicitis. And when um, Mrs. Nesbitt finds out, she can't get a hold of Stanford White. He's not around to help out. So she calls Harry Thaw. Mm -hmm. And Harry Thaw immediately sends like the best doctors to that school. The word, the the story is that she was given the appendicitis like in a classroom on a desk. But then there's rumors and innuendo Mm -hmm. that it was not appendicitis. It was an abortion. Uh -uh. Um, From her affair with Jack Barrymore, but both Evelyn and Jack Barrymore absolutely denied that 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 was true. Of course they did. (laughs) So either way, Harry Thaw comes out as this white knight and he saved the day and um, Mrs. Nesbitt thinks he's great. So he convinces her that that he should uh, that she should allow him to take the family on like a healing European vacation. And she's like, that sounds great. We barely know you. Let's do this thing. Um, but instead of the rest and relaxation that he promised on this trip, he packs the itinerary and he absolutely just exhausts Mrs. Nesbitt. Uh-huh. So she's, she's like, I'm 30. I'm too old to do this stuff. <laughs> right? I've been, my lungs are filled with coal dust. So basically, they all, there's constant fighting and problems between Evelyn and her mother on uh-huh. this trip. And they end up, she, Mrs. Nesbitt ends up staying in England and Harry takes Evelyn to Paris. Mm. So, but basically it was intentional sure. on his part. When they're in Paris, he proposes to Evelyn. And, and of course, she's not into him. He's clearly kind of like cra- crazy, uh-huh. real overtly crazy. But he's also like super rich. And she grew up, you know, around like hearing his name and you know yeah. the um the thaw family was huge yeah. in pennsylvania so she knew that she'd also lost a lot of status with stanford white kind of like not being that into her anymore yeah and she was worried about getting more work and she was worried about a lot of stuff so she was considering it but he says he can't marry her until she tells him everything about the relationships that that she had with stanford white uh-oh and she's like, well, no, it's, I mean, don't worry about it. And he's like crying and harassing her through the night till she finally tells the story of what happened to her in the mirrored room. Mm-hmm. And he goes fucking batshit bananas. And that's the proof he's been looking for because he's really pinpointed Stanford White as like the downfall of society oh, in Manhattan. he's all virginity shit. He's all virginity and crazy and whatever. Purity, all this bullshit. Yeah. So he, this is like the information that he's been waiting to hear. Yeah. So then it, upon hearing that story, he accuses Mrs. Nesbitt of being an unfit parent, well, which he is totally, not totally <laughs> I wrong. I mean, listen, <laughs> Evelyn number one. Yeah. Uh, 
but then it creates a bigger rift so then she's basically separated from her family the old controlling boyfriend style Mm -hmm. and then he takes this is insanity he takes evelyn in europe to all the sites where virgins were martyred great so (laughs) sounds like a fun time i mean and at the at the site where joan of arc was martyred in the guest book, he writes, quote, <gasps> she would not have been a virgin if Stanford White was around. And it's like, that th- it still exists? I get, I mean, yeah, I think that's a provable thing. Holy shit. In the guest book, no less. And, uh, Joan of Arc comes back, she's like, could you not fucking do that? You know what, motherfucker? I didn't die for this. You're the type I was fighting against. Exactly. Also, how about this pixie cut? <laughs> I love the movie Joan of Arc starring... Um, Mila Jovovich uh-huh. because no one that pixie cut no one can wear that pixie cut but Mila jo- Jovovich so good so proud of her so then at their last stop it gets worse always uh-huh. at their last stop at a castle in Aust- Austria called Katzenstein Castle there are three staff members and he makes them go stay at one end of the castle and he holds Evelyn prisoner at the other side. Cool. Um, I'm, I'm with you so far. He ties her up, beats her with a whip, and sexually assaults what? her for two weeks. Wait, where'd this come from? I thought we were just being tourists. Nope. He is. He has some issues with whipping, <gasps> tying up, and beating people. I'm sorry, Mr. Fucking Purity. Yes, this is what I'm talking about. There's always, when you are those people that are like, we need to do this and that. It's like, really? How come, sir? Uh-huh. Um... And that really applies to everything all the time. Uh-huh, 100%. <laughs> Don't be passionate about anything or you seem like a fucking liar. What's my point is a good question to ask every yeah. once in a while. Yeah. What am I talking about? Right. Um, so basically, horrible. She. It, it's exposed to her that he's basically an intense, abusive, sexual abuser. And <gasps> this is like what sex means to him. Yeah. But then, of course, on their trip home, he's incredibly apologetic and weepy Mm -hmm. and please forgive me and all this stuff. Now, this is the point where Mrs. Nesbitt gets remarried and is just completely estranged. And Evelyn knows there'll be she has nothing to go back to. So she's she ends up on April 4th, 1905. Mm. She Evelyn Nesbitt marries Harry Thaw and he picks out her wedding dress, a black traveling suit with brown trim. Sounds so uh, fun. Handsome goth um and his mother he was a huge mama's boy and his mother is insanely controlling of his life and of course she did not approve of a chorus girl that was like you know to those super rich people sorry you're a famous model yeah not good enough no she actually had a calendar come out (gasps) around the same time and she's basically nude but Uh she's got like flowers on her shoulder it's very beautiful and tasteful Uh but of course at the time it was scandal insane mother thought tried to go out and buy up all those calendars so no no one would see them yeah or was she really into it just wanted to wallpaper her wall. Because she has secrets, too. They move into Mother Thaw's mansion in Lynchers, Pennsylvania. Great. And sh- and Evelyn is now cut off from the outside world. Um, Mama Thaw, Harry is her, his mother's lapdog, essentially. Um, and uh, Evelyn is just st- stuck in a mansion, essentially. Um, it sounds way more boring than you think. Like, right. way, like, less cool. Not cool at all, because she has no money. She doesn't get to control anything. She just has to do what they want. And it's haunted, it's probably. nightmare. But it's super drafty. <laughs> and she's just wearing that black fucking suit. Ugh. Um, So, uh, 
also it's awful because Harry Thaw is so obsessed with Stanford White that he is like manic about it. He stews about it day and night. He rants about him constantly. Um, They never leave the mansion um, for a full year. And he's just sitting around planning Stanford White's demise. Meanwhile, Stanford White has no idea Uh about Harry Thaw other than he's that asshole that lights cigars with money. Uh Um, So... A year later, on June 25th, 1906, uh, Harry tells Evelyn that they're going to take a luxury cruise to Europe. And she's actually excited Uh just to get out of the house Uh and get away from that mother. Um, And she's really excited until he says, oh, but first we have to go into New York City. Before we sail, we need to go see the opening night of the show, Mademoiselle Champagne by Edgar Allan Wolfe. And it's playing at the rooftop theater, Mm. Madison Square Garden. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. So Evelyn's freaking out because she knows Stanford White will be there. I don't want to run into my ex. I get that. Exactly. It's his place. It's his theater. He designed all of it. He's at all these shows. She's freaking out. Um, It's the middle of summer and it's really hot. Harry Thaw arrives wearing a big, long black overcoat. Uh, uh, Nobody thinks it's weird because he's the weirdo eccentric millionaire. uh Evelyn relaxes when they get there and she looks around and sees that Stanford White is not there. Uh And um, so they watch the show. Ten minutes before it ends, they hear a little bit of a commotion in the back and Stanford White has entered the room and sits down at his table. Uh So Evelyn tells Harry she thinks they should go and he's like, you're right, we should go. Uh They get up they go to walk out, and as they pass Stanford White, Harry Thaw pulls out a gun, and in front of 900 people, mm. he shoots Stanford White twice in the head and once in the shoulder and kills him instantly. Holy shit. And at first, people think he yells, um, you ruined my wife. <gasps> but then later on, uh, the people that were nearby said, no, 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 he said, you ruined my life. Ugh. So it's not about the wife. It's yeah. all about him, of course. Um, so of course, immediately Harry Thaw's arrested. Evelyn goes, stays at a friend's apartment. She is completely in a daze. She has no idea what to do. She's not going back to that crazy mansion in, no. in uh, Pennsylvania. And immediately it's a media circus. Uh-huh. So this is the it girl from four years ago sure. and two millionaires uh-huh. and a murder. Uh-huh. And of course, there's so much dirt to come out about Stanford White because now all of a sudden it's all the stories of his snuggeries around uh-huh. town and all the 14-year-old chorus girls that are like, yeah, I know that dude. He sent me a piano too. Oh, well, that was yeah. the other guy, but um, there's I'm sure art- he did it once. <laughs> what? I'm sure he's done that before. Yeah. They used to, back then, sending pianos was like a text. <laughs> <clears throat> did you get a piano from him? Oh my God, he sent me a piano did at 2 a.m. Did you respond to his piano? Do not write back to that piano girl. <laughs> so there's now articles coming out that say, was Harry Thaw justified because of, yeah. of Stanford White's terrible behavior? And Harry, of course, himself thinks he's going to get let off because he did the world a service by killing White. Oh, right. A week after the murder, there's a film called Rooftop Murder by Thomas Edison that's released in a Nickelodeon Oh, theater. he just fucking banged that thing out. And anybody who, like, when people constantly ask us about, like, how do you feel about this new trend in true crime and why everyone's interested in true crime right now? And it's like, no, this has been going on since yeah. fucking Thomas Edison and before. Yeah. That's, that's Joan of Arc. People were into it then. I don't know. <laughs> There are people standing around gossiping. Yeah. Look at her. Kill all these people. <clears throat> oh my God, that hair. 
Okay, so one of the quotes from the book American Eve that I was telling you about mm-hmm. is from a tenderloin cab driver who, was, when a reporter asked him um, if he was like surprised by this murder, he said, he, he, I was surprised it was a husband who shot him. I always thought it was, was going to be a father. <gasps> Ew. So that's how much people knew that Stanford White was into like young, young girls. Whoa, tenderloin cab driver. Yeah. Handsome driver. Isn't that what they called him then? Handsome Cab? Yeah. I think this might have been a little bit later. Oh, shit. But I don't know. It's it just the 1960s. <laughs> it's just so fucking... Oh, I thought it was going to be... It's Robert De Niro as Handsome Cab Driver. I'm here. I thought it'd be a husband, too. <laughs> but then he's like, uh, giddy up. Yeah. Giddy up, Frosty. Harry Thaw, this is amazing. There are pictures of Harry Thaw in jail. He had... He called reporters in to take pictures of him with his br- butler bringing him food from Delmonico's. Um, <gasps> mm-hmm. th- he had a little brass bed put into his jail cell. So there's this picture of him sitting next to a brass bed with all these nice clothes folded over it. And he's a- eating what looks like it's a room aspic. service tray. <laughs> Is he eating aspic? Yes, he's having some nice aspic. Snails and aspic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a cling peach for dessert. <laughs> But it's the lawyers are like, could you not do that? Yeah, That's because yeah. he's like, oh, I think it'll stir up sympathy. Them seeing me sympathy. trying to live my life in the jail cell. Oh, honey, they're like, don't do that anymore. Yeah, they, he gets his doctor to convince authorities that he needs to drink one bottle of champagne a day. I me, I me too. Hi, <laughs> same, Doctor Wilson. <laughs> okay, so the defense tells Evelyn that she has to play the grieving we- grieving widow on the on the stand um and testify about what Stanford White did to her to justify what Harry uh, that Harry murdered him mm-hmm. and save him from the electric chair mm-hmm. and it's rumored that she was paid somewhere between 25 and 100,000 dollars to do that Jesus um she gets on the stand she talks about the red velvet swing and it blows america's mind Mm. people are freaking out like there's nothing this salacious has ever been in the newspaper um and stanford white the victim now gets drugged through the mud because of all this shit and the thaw family paid that basically to have all this dirty laundry come out so they they were handing out money left right and center they also tell mrs nesbitt that they will convict her for prostituting her daughter unless she testifies (gasps) for henry harry thaw dude and but then evelyn's brother comes back into the scene howard and he's like what's up i'm back from military school and i remember me i'm my own person yeah forget about me because he was there to blame evelyn for the murder and say that stanford white was like a father to him and it blame evelyn the daughter or the mother the daughter Basically to blame her for her husband killing Stanford her White fault. and saying, I love Stanford White like he was my father. So it Well, gets, yeah, brother, because he didn't fucking drug and rape you. Sorry, that's right. And yeah, he he was gone. He yeah. was he was benefiting from all that money. He benefited and, purely just got the shit. Look, this is Listen, typical uh, this guy behavior. <laughs> um <laughs> But it turns into such a circus that this becomes the first jury in America that's sequestered. Whoa! This for this case, they're like shush, they're, zip it, everybody. Yeah, that, that judge was like, "I'm going to make up a thing." Yeah, you guys all have to stay at a hotel. They're like, hey, what's a good word for it? Sequestered. It's called sequestered. It's called sequestered. Um, the Thaw family. Oh, oh. So this trial, uh, Harry lawyer, Harry's lawyers say that he should plead insanity, but Mrs. 
Mrs. Thaw, Mama Thaw, uh-huh. says, no fucking way. There is no mental illness in this family. Yeah, that means there's a hundred mental illness in that this family. Her son, from childhood, yeah. he was known as Mad Harry. Oh, my God. He was clearly... Um, eccentric w- was not an accurate word for him. Uh-uh. Uh, so this trial ends up ending in a hung jury. And after the, that is over, the Thaw family has a movie made called The Unwritten Law, and it shows Harry being found innocent and then freed while angels sing in the background. Because that, that's what happened. <laughs> because that's... Just get that, get that propaganda out there. basically a documentary. At the second trial, uh, Harry's acquitted by reason of insanity. He's sent to an asylum upstate. Um... Evelyn's not going to get any of the money. She doesn't get shit because Mother Thaw is in charge and she blames Evelyn for his downfall. Harry files for divorce when he's upstate in the asylum. He escapes the asylum. He Mm. goes to Canada. He does what he wants for a while, just chills. He's eventually brought back. He's um, and then released and declared sane in 1915. But within a matter of years after that, like basically everybody going, eh, he's fine now. That was just a one-off. Harry Thaw is arrested because a young boy is found in a daze <gasps> after jumping out of Harry Thaw's hotel room window <gasps> where he was holding that boy against his will and whipping him. Uh-oh. Yes. And so then it turns out, everyone starts to find out that Harry Thaw used to use the name Mr. Monroe when he was like people's secret admirers Mm -hmm. because he had this whole scam where he would um, solicit young actresses to sign up for training courses in New York City and then he would um, get them in a room, beat them with whips, (gasps) scald them with burning water. Oh my God. But he was a millionaire so nobody ever talked about it and nobody gave a shit and they just all like went away like abused and like freaked out Holy so shit. he was like like a masochist from day one and like that, yeah. that's what i love it's oh that shit is always underneath those people that are like yeah. clean up this city we can't have a statue of a Rudy naked lady giuliani we're on to you <laughs> easy oh sorry allegedly allegedly um allegedly we're on to you so after all of this evelyn goes into vaudeville for a little while she ends up having a son named russell uh she claimed it was harry thaw's son some people argued that she opened a speakeasy in the 20s she was an alcoholic she's a morphine addict in the through the 30s uh she started doing burlesque for a little while and this entire time harry thaw surveilled her and watched her (sighs) Until uh, 1926, Evelyn lost her job at the Moulin Rouge Cafe and tried to kill herself by drinking disinfectant. Harry Thaw came to visit her. They reconciled, but were never together again. Evelyn Nesbitt ended up writing two memoirs. One was called The Story of My Life in 1914, and the other was called Prodigal Days in 1934. Then, this is kind of cool. She has kind of a, a rebirth because during World War II, she taught ceramics in Los Angeles. So I think she started, she moved to the West Coast and kind of started over. She became like a hippie. Yeah. And she was paid $10,000 as the technical director for a movie that they made in the 50s called The Girl in the Red Velvet Swing starring Joan Collins. Whoa. Yeah. So there was kind of this, uh, like a fictionalized movie, I believe, about her life um, that they, that she got, she was paid for. Harry Thaw died in 1947. He left Evelyn $10,000 from his estimated $1 million (laughs) estate. Thanks, bro. Thanks. Good of you. Uh, Evelyn died in Santa Monica, a Santa Monica nursing home on January 17th, 1967 at the age of 82. Oh, but she was so cool as an old lady. Yeah. 
so anyway, that's the unbelievable story of Evelyn Nesbitt, the it girl of the Gilded Age. Karen, that was fucking excellent. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. And over to you. We're back. Okay. My co-host. Don't forget we have Stephen Man in the Street if we need if we need him for any reason. <laughs> over in Memphis. Yes. You know. Walking the streets of Memphis. Live from Memphis. Yeah. Walking the streets. All right. Whew. Okay. <laughs> Here's another long one. You and I picked. Okay. Good. We ones. went long this week. Yeah. And we're going to now. Start your road trip now. Okay. This is truly one of my favorite. Ones I've ever done. Yeah, like truly one of my favorite murders I've ever researched. Did you know it when you started or as you went through? Okay, so I've known about this one for a while. It's an old, old episode. Uh, It was just a fucking five-minute thing on Unsolved Mysteries originally. Ooh. Season one, like original. So it's always been in the back of my mind of like this thing that happened. What a weird, curious thing. And it's been a bookmark on my history. Like, you know, I have the like murders to do bookmark. And it's just always been one. But I know it's a deep fucking dive. And it gets bigger and bigger the more you dive for example, True Crime Garage did a four four fucking episodes, like four parts Shit. of this, like an hour long. Each. Hi, True Crime Garage. Hi, True Crime Garage. Uh, it's funny. So it's like a big one. That's crazy. So I did my best to like get as much as I could in there. It also like my, as I love, it's a cold case and it goes to the fucking top. <laughs> it goes to the top. You know what I mean? Yes. So this is The Boys on the Tracks. Oh shit! Yes, you know. Yep. Uh-huh. I mean, I know, but I don't. Dude, know. you don't. I didn't know. No, but if I had known, I might not have tried to to do this because it's so hard. It's here's what I know. Pretty much only what was on Unsolved Mysteries. And here's the thing: when they did the Unsolved Mysteries, they didn't know shit either. Right. The episode ends with them going. They thought they saw a guy in camo, like walking around town that night. That's right. it. Yeah. No, this goes to the fucking top. Buckle in, everybody. Buckle the fuck up, motherfuckers. Okay. <laughs> Let's start chronologically. Let's just like start with the basics that we know. Okay. Uh, and then we'll get into the conspiracy shit. Okay. Great. So on August 22nd, 1987, two teenage friends, 16 year old Don Henry and 17 year old Kevin Ives, they're from Bryant, Arkansas, which is a little suburb right outside of uh, Little Rock. It's like a small town. They're spending the weekend hanging out together. They've been friends for a little while. They're like, you know, normal teenage kids, popular boys. They're about to go into their senior year of high school. Mm. Um, they're, totally normal like 1980s looking kids they look like they'd be in heavy metal parking lot sure you know what i mean like those hair parted up the middle
middle. Yeah, like kind of feathered out a little bit and like yeah. maybe a little duck tail in the back. Just a tiny bit. I think late 80s that that was starting to get uh yeah you you were either going to be metal or new wave you right oh they the were call. not going to be new wave at all like Never. these were going to be kids that were going like they had their muscle cars that they loved yeah. they were going to be just like normal family men someday sure and we'll put a, po- a photo of them up with the post i mean they're like cute kids right like cute teenage boys um so Let's see. It's the end of the summer. They're starting their senior year. It's a Saturday. They're hanging out with some friends at the local fucking, you know, druggy parking lot. Sure. As you do. Um, in a small town. Exactly. Yeah. They, uh, the boys go back to Don's house around midnight for their curfew check-in. They were spending the night at Don's. Uh, Don's dad, Curtis, uh, checked in with them. And then he was, and then the kids, the boys were like, can we go out and go do some hunting in the woods? Which is like their normal thing. They grew up doing that. Don was like, great. Go for it. See you later. So the boys were going to do a, a thing of a kind of hunting called spotlighting, which as someone from the suburbs, I don't know what the fuck that is. Basically, it's an illegal form of hunting where you shine the flashlight into your prey's eyes to, to stop them and then shoot them. I guess it's illegal, but I, I heard that like with like uh, sweet baby raccoons, it's not illegal. Don't <laughs> please don't shoot raccoons. Okay. Um, That'd be horrible to shoot a raccoon. Well, raccoons are like actually really evil in some places, right? Yeah, but still, they're they're like little people yeah. in costumes. They like <laughs> they use their hands like people. Yeah, 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 you can't yeah, yeah. just shoot a fucking. And raccoon. they look like cats. Like yeah, and they're up to something. Like let them have their plan. <laughs> Remember when Ren, one ran in front of your car the other day when we were driving? <laughs> yes. We were leaving my fucking parking garage. Karen was driving That's me somewhere, right. and one just like tr- like did a like. I'm gonna run into the whoa and like Karen like a cat fucking slammed on the brakes. It was I really impressive. I'm a graduate of the Bob Bondurant school of driving. That's why. There you go. No, no, that's a lie. But my friend Andy I Packer. Know. I don't know who that up, is. I know it's it's a reference that only like ten people in Northern California. I bet would Don get. and fucking Kevin would have known. They would know. For some reason, I think how richer housewives to do something went to the Bob Bondurant school of driving. It was like escape driving and stuff like that um, like, that sounds amazing was, i think i'm already like lo- i'm not just a member i'm the owner yeah <laughs> judy packard my friend andy's mom who was the coolest and nicest mom had a sticker for the bob Bondurant school of driving on the back of her 280 zx and that's why i always thought about it i'm 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 on board Okay, so da, 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 they go out around 1230 in the morning to go do this thing. They have the flashlight and Don's prize 22 rifle shotgun. I don't know. And they head out uh, into the familiar woods that they fucking grew up like going through. Yep. So, all right, boom. There that is. Cut to the following morning. It's So it's now August 23rd, 1987 at about 425 in the morning. Oh, no. Uh-huh. A 75-car, 6,000-ton cargo train is on its regular night run from Texarkana, where you that crazy killer yeah. was, to Little Rock. So it's... The servant girl annihilator? No. Remember the guy oh, who the, might be the, the Zodiac killer? A, uh, the guy who was... A, the city was a good, afraid to go to sleep. Yeah. The town that was... Yes. It might be the Zodiac. 
Right. So that's Texarkana. Okay. So they're going from Texarkana to Little Rock. Where Ted Cruz is from. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You sorry. Silly Billy. How dare you? Well, this does go to the top, so maybe he's involved. Okay. Mm -hmm. The train is over a mile long. It's traveling at speeds of around 50 miles per hour, blah, blah, blah. The train uh, starts to approach Bryant to, like, go through the little town there. And engineer Stephen Schroyer notices something on the tracks ahead, as do the uh, a couple other workers on the train. Um, and, oh, my God, this guy gets, this Stephen guy gets interviewed in the original, um, episode of and he's just like breaks your heart he's just like salt of the earth good guy and and it's completely ripped him apart yeah Yeah. i mean yeah so at at first they think what they see on the tracks laying on the tracks is an animal but in uh, what but they notice in horror that in actuality they see two teenage boys or like young boys they think laying motionless on the tracks they're laying parallel with their heads on one rail their body across the tracks and their feet towards the other rail mm-hmm. so like across the tracks like a robber would do yeah and they know that the boys lower bodies appear to be covered by a light green tarp and that beside them was the rifle also paralleling on the tracks Ugh. so this dude steven schroyer who's like a fucking veteran train dude he frantically blows the loud diesel horn as he pulls the emergency brake uh even though he knows there's not enough time for the train to stop he's hoping that they'll move but the train dudes feel the impact as the train hits and proceeds to run over the bodies of the boys on the tracks which the horror you know it's like sometimes i think about the people who like commit suicide by parking on a track and you just don't think about the people who are on the train who you are going to scar for the rest of your life that's right that this well no, no it's not the same but but also that idea that you would know it's almost like if they hadn't looked, then it, they would have hit and then it, it wouldn't have been as traumatizing. Right. But to know it, to try to prevent it. To see it, it happening. to tr- Yeah. Exactly. But it's horrible. It doesn't matter how you slice it. It's horrible. Well, it is. You know, you're right. The police are, uh, Stephen radios the police from the train. And when the dispatcher says, have you got any injuries? Stephen Schroyer says, no, we've got death. Oh. Which I think is the most chilling thing I've ever heard. So once the train comes to a stop, the crew, they exit to view the carnage just to see what the fuck's going on. They had had experience hitting animals in their years as train dudes. Um, none of them had ever hit a human, but they knew to expect a lot of gore. But they were surprised by what they found. So they were also avid hunters as well as having hit animals before on the tracks. And they all knew that fresh kill had bright red free flowing blood. Mm-hmm. The blood from the boys was purple in color. It was thick and oozing, indicating that the boys had already been dead for some time before the train had hit them. Mm-hmm. By 4.40 a.m., the local and state police had arrived at the scene and they began investigating. As the train dudes explained to Saline County Sheriff's deputies on the scene about the curious lack of blood present, meaning to them that the boys had already been dead, and add to that the observation of the train dudes, and this part's fucking crazy, as, as they had pro- approached the bodies on the tracks in the speeding train, blowing the horn like fucking mad, the fucking rails are shaking, the train coming towards them, neither of the boys on the tracks flinched or moved a muscle, something that one would think would be human nature when a speeding train is coming towards you, even if you intend to get run over. Yes. So, like, if you're laying there to uh, kill yourself, you're still going to, you know roll into a ball or do something right and even say maybe one of the theories is like oh they got super drunk or fucked up and passed out well, hold the fuck up but i mean wouldn't yeah. a speeding train wake you up even if like right. even if you were super drunk but yeah 100 percent. they were like they didn't even flinch right 
So, but the scene was immediately treated as a suicide or traffic accident scene by the sheriff. Despite the info pointing to foul play, this means that the scene wasn't properly secured. Evidence wasn't properly collected. In fact, the the next train that was like waiting to come, they fucking let them come through the scene uh, and plow through the crime scene on its way to its next no. destination. They were like, go ahead, go through. Yeah. And even the paramedics were skeptical of the handling of the scene as an accident. And they actually attached a note on their report, noting that the condition of the boy's body when they found them suggested that they had been dead long before they were stuck by the train. So they were like, fuck this shit and put a little like, we're going to check this shit out. You know? Yeah. Oh, good. So let's cut back to Don and Kevin. When they hadn't come home that morning, Don's father, Curtis, began to worry and notified Kevin's mother, Linda Ives. Eventually, later that morning, Curtis hears a rumor from a neighbor. So there's this rumor already going around town that two teenage boys have been shot and tied to the railroad tracks. That's the rumor going around. Oh. And it wasn't long before the police show up and uh, and the clothes the boys had left the night before in were ID'd as the ones that uh, Don and Kevin had been wearing and that the boys on the tracks had been wearing, thus confirming the deaths of Don Henry and Kevin Ives. Mm. Which is so fucking awful. So, shortly after, the medical report was released by the state medical examiner, this fucking dickhead named Dr. Fami Malik. He's an Egyptian-born physician, um, and he rules the deaths an accident. In his report, he states that at the time of the accident, the boys were, quote, unconscious and in a deep sleep on the railroad tracks. No. Under psychedelic influence of THC, marijuana, when a train passed over them, causing their accidental death. No. He explained that the boys had smoked the equivalent of 20 marijuana cigarettes. Impossible. Have you ever passed out from cigarette, from marijuana? And have you ever smoked 20 joints? Well, and also in what? That was like four or five hours? Four, yeah, maybe four hours or so like, yeah. So I mean, even fucking 10 hours. Five joints now. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but still, it, back to my thing of even if you were st- stoned to the bone and like couldn't move. Yeah. You're flinching if a speeding train is coming. Yeah. You. you don't you don't go into a coma like state on pot, especially fucking 1980s Arkansas swag. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> right. Half that shit was oregano. It was fucking oregano stems and seeds and maybe a teeny <clears throat> tiny bit of swag. That's it, so fr- it's so frustrating. It's like anytime we talk about crimes that happened before 1995, it's like we're talking about it's the turn of the century. Totally. It's nuts. It's nuts. It gets nutser. Okay. Okay. Da, 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 da. The families of Don and Kevin are like normal fucking people. So like, you've got to be fucking kidding me, dude. Yeah. What the fuck? So knowing that the boys, they, they weren't big pot smokers. They weren't bad kids. Uh, although a dime bag was found in one of the pockets um, of the boys' clothes, at, but after their return to the parents, which means they didn't really check the pockets at all. So, like, the boys maybe bought a little bit of pot and smoked some pot, but they weren't fucking drug, you know, dealers or anything. Hey, listen, Bill Clinton smoked pot. He didn't inhale, but he, he was around it. Wait, that's foreshadowing. What? Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. Dude, you gave me the chills just now. Okay. Okay. Irish psychic. So, <laughs> so... Uh, the friends who had been in the fucking parking lot with them earlier said that they had enough pot for maybe a joint or two, like a fucking dime bag. Um, but the parents were like, there's no fucking way they would have fallen asleep on the tracks and not heard the train coming. Like everyone who's listening to this right now is saying. <laughs> right. Okay. Plus, weird things started popping up that made the families lose faith in the aptitude of Dr. Malik. This dude sucks. First of all, 
uh, of course, the town goes nuts, like, over this thing and wants to be looky-loose, goes down to the train tracks to look around for shit like normal people. And <laughs> a family member of one of the boys finds on the tracks a shoe with a foot in it. No. From one of the boys. No. Like, two or three days after the accident. <sighs> and the fucking autopsy had already been fucking, like, done. And no, and he didn't mention that there's a goddamn foot missing. What the fuck? Exactly. Um, the autopsy. Da, 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 da. Okay, so they also told the crew. <laughs> they told the train crew, who has no stake in this whatsoever. They're just telling it as they see it. Um, the cops tell the crew that they, although they had said they observed a green tarp over the lower half of the boys' bodies right before running them over, the tarp must have been an optical illusion because it didn't exist. Oh, guys, mm -hmm. that's not the option. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. You have to look for it. Mm -hmm. Or you can't just hide it because it belongs to someone you know. Yeah. Or it says like the name the, of whoever. My mind, that's the first thing. The first thing is conspiracy, conspiracy. What What's hidden in those woods? Those boys. But over. is it a conspiracy? Okay. Okay. It's that thing of like, if you're being paranoid, make sure no one's following that person first kind of a thing. Yeah. You know. <laughs> you know that old saying. You know that one I love that I watch on Ancient Aliens all the time. Um, and like a bunch of other shit that I don't have four episodes to tell you like True Crime Garage does. I'm going to listen to True Crime Garage do it too. It's good. It's because good. I, there's nothing better than the details and like su the super mysteries. And there's a, I have a bunch of references to tell you about to watch too. Okay, cool. To listen, to read too. Okay. So for five months, Kevin and Don's parents, who are fucking badasses and not letting, like not letting this shit go. They're normal fucking working class people and they're like up against the fucking government. Yeah. But they do not let this go. Um, they try unsuccessfully to get the case reinvestigated and nobody will listen to them. So fed the fuck up, they go to the goddamn fucking media because they're like, you know yes. who's going to listen to us when we yell at you over the media. Um, the, very smart. That's right. The plan works because the next day after they do this like press conference calling everyone out on their bullshit, the case is officially reopened finally. And prosecutor Richard Garrett had the boys, uh, he's assigned to the case. He has the boys' bodies exhumed for another autopsy. This leads to a creation of the grand jury that was led by an attorney named uh, none other than Dan Harmon of Rick and Morty fame. No, what if that was his first career? No, it is his then name he moved is Dan to California Harmon. to get away from all that. His name is Dan Harmon, which is is weird, but yeah. it's true. So that's got to be weird when you Google Dan Harmon and you're like, wait, what? Wait. So he's a friend of the prosecutor, Rich, Richard Garrett, and had been in the mix with the family from the very beginning. He see, he was an advocate for the boys' families. He was like, what can I do for you free of charge? Um, he volunteered to them uh, before requesting that the judge, who's presiding over the grand jury, appoint him special prosecutor to supervise the investigation over the deaths. Because he's like, I want this to be fucking solid. I'm in on this. Like, yeah. Let's do this. So a new outside pathologist, who's like Dr. Malik, is kind of stupid, concludes that the boys... <laughs> Had he says that on the record. Uh -huh. It's a quote, a direct quote. <laughs> says that the boys had only smoked between one and three marijuana cigarettes after doing the tests. Uh, they found that Don Henry's shirt had tears on the back of it that were consistent with a sharp object like a knife. Not like how it's so amazing how good these people are at their job that they can be like, this is a rip and this is a fucking like direct stab, stab wound. Yeah. That's like they can tell. So they find that in his shirt and on his body, they match up. So like if he had been, if it had been from the train, like his shirt would have been pulled up, but it matched. You know what I mean? Yes. It was matching of a knife going in. Right. Yeah. Before beforehand Ugh. and like the blood matched 
someone being alive, not someone being dead beforehand. So, and injuries and bruises on Kevin's face were consistent with a hit from the butt of a rifle or another blunt object. Oh, so shit. this is fucking pre-mortem. Right. So in grand jury testimony, the lead pathologist said that the boys, quote, were either incapacitated, knocked unconscious, possibly even killed, their bodies placed on the tracks, and the train overran their bodies. So in 1988, the grand jury reversed the ruling of accidental death and ruled the deaths to be probable homicides. Okay. Great. Awesome. Movement forward. Step one. Here we go. But even then, Dr. Malik has said that he said that he didn't believe anybody, quote, laid a finger on those boys. Like he refused to believe it. He wouldn't give over a bunch of like evidence. He wouldn't give over shit. He was just like fighting it tooth and nail. Now, here's the thing. And this is a time where... You know, this is when doctors made a shit ton of money. And they were like the end all be all of knowledge. Of, of all knowledge. Sure. And, and part of that, it's like Alec Baldwin in that movie where he's like, I'm not, I'm not at playing God. I am God. Where they really, that's part of it. Dirty Rock. Yeah. <laughs> Love that movie. <laughs> Good one. But, but, but I think now the part of the advancements, I think, of like, criminology uh-huh, i guess uh-huh. to be this dumb and broad no no that sounds great is, that sounds it, correct it's just essentially people going i i don't know but i'm trying to put the story together yeah not that you have to come in and be the final word expert because that's just a setup to be wrong or We're, people saying i want a second opinion and the doctor not being like fuck you right it's like, just like great. no you should get a second opinion yeah. because what we should want here is the truth and yeah. the solution not me to win some game that that's not really what's happening that's i don't right. know and dr malik was like a uh-huh. 100% on board. Let, let me tell you some more information. Okay. Uh, okay. This is where we get into the like, here are the facts. Let's get into the fucking deep dive, mother. This is the beginning of it. So his controversial ruling. All right. So this thing about Malik is he had this controversial ruling in the case of a patient's. De- so there's this patient who died in a hospital. And uh, the, the woman who was uh, facing legal issues was an, a, a, the. Uh, the nurse anesthesi- anesth- anesthesiologist? No, anesthetist. Mm-hmm. That's a hard one. It is a hard okay, one. Okay, she she was a woman named Virginia Kelly, and he helped her in the in the case of a patient's death, helped her avoid legal issues while she was already facing negligence and malpractice charges. So he helped get her off by like writing these like f- you know fudging it a little fudging bit? it a little bit. Does the name Virginia Kelly sound familiar, Karen? Is she an d- angel of death? Nope. Oh. She is the mother of the man who, during the time of this case, the grand jury case, uh, she's the mother of the fucking governor of Arkansas, Bill fucking Clinton. What? Wait, what? Uh, huh? Bill Clinton's it mother was, the way acu- to was accused of malpractice? She, twice. Listen, I am a Uh-oh, fucking liberal look. as fuck. Whitewater? If you think that I believe a, f- a thing a politician <laughs> says, either side. Oh, no, no. Yeah. That, yeah. This it, isn't political. This is fucking politicianal. I think also, if we've learned anything in the yeah. past two years, is that pretty much anyone involved in the government is crooked as shit. A lying liar who fucking we, lies. We were all being lied to just endlessly. And if you've only learned that in the past two years, then welcome to the fucking... <laughs> parade thank you i'm glad to finally be here <laughs> oh, you, but karen was just believing all of it <laughs> damn i really wanted that to um 
not be Bill Clinton's mother. I know. I know. Shit. I know. I know. Okay. But I also, know. if you have more than one malpractice, yeah. Sorry, we can't afford it. Like, no. The in, but, the yeah. average person. I mean, okay. So there, there is a. I want to really quickly say that there is a book, and like, you can't get all this. You can't get all the deep dives and all of this in any of the like articles and there's like videos and documentaries and shit you have to read um the boys on the tracks by this woman named mara uh leverett she like gets into all of this shit which i have to read i haven't read it yet but like it's like about the case and like what malpractice suits there were and what happened which i've read about and they're bananas it's all bananas okay great we just don't have time (laughs) um so bill fucking clinton he so this dr malik reversed these fucking charges against bill clinton's mom he's the governor of arkansas okay so maybe that the boys on the tracks was his first malik's first fuck up right like the first thing that he like ruled incorrectly okay well over his career his rulings and testimonies became problematic in more than 20 additional deaths (laughs) no no. so he's the angel of death but just post-mortem right Exactly. Um, there are multiple instances showing that Malik testified erroneously in criminal cases, that his rulings were reversed by juries, and that outside pathologists challenged his findings. And my God, you need to read about it because it's bananas. I'll give you two fucking really great examples. <laughs> okay. One case from 1985, a man was found uh, shot dead in his yard. Malik ruled the death a suicide. But this dude had been shot five times in the chest. Come on. In another case, a man was found dead in his home and Malik attributed his death to an ulcer. Okay. But the dead man had been decapitated. Okay. Listen to me. No, 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 no. (laughs) Hold up and tell you before you listen to me. Hold up because there's more. When Malik was questioned about this. before you listen to me. (laughs) Malik said that the man's the man had been sitting in dead in his house for a while and that the dog had chewed through his neck and chewed his head off. What? And that's how he got decapitated, even though it was a clean fucking slice. And this led to the testimony led to a murder, the murder lead suspect going free. Sir, (laughs) what is your, uh, what is your damage? May I ask the eternal eighties question? What is your damage? Are you really going to ask that? Yes. What the fuck? Dude, a hundred. This this immediately makes me think of that blood spatter expert in the staircase. <laughs> We're just like, how he got away with that multiple times. And it's this weird thing of like, wait, he believes himself. Yes. That's like the, that's the scariest thing that's, of someone who like is clearly full of shit or lying or wrong and and believes themselves. Yes. That's the scariest thing. Yeah, it's easy to get carried away with like what knowing things means about you. Right. Well, the families tried to like argue, like argue with Dr. Malik initially of like this. How can you think like tried to reason with him? Dr. Malik got pissed off, pulled out the fucking autopsy photos of their children and tried to show the families these photos, sir. And one of the fucking uh, police officers there had to like be like, don't fucking do that, dude. Like <sighs> it, this guy's very problematic. Okay. Boop, 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 boop. Five God. times in the chest. Okay. <laughs> when Governor Bill Clinton was asked to comment about Dr. Malik's bullshit, he praised Dr. Malik's work and stated that the mistakes came from being overworked and underpaid. So Dr. Malik had clearly fucked up the case of Don and Kevin, which Karen, you and I would think would lead to a slap on the wrist or something, right? That's sure. what we would think. Yeah. But no. Two months after the grand jury ruling about the probable murder, Clinton sent a proposal asking to raise Malik's salary by 41.5%. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty unforgivable. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, oh, <laughs> here's just a great side note that I thought you would like. Uh, at a hearing about this pay raise two months later, Linda Ives, Kevin's mother, and other Malik haters formed an organization to, like, stop this from happening. It was called Victims of Malik's Incredible Testimony. And the acronym? Uh, Vomit. <laughs> What's her name? Linda Ives. Hell yes, Linda Ives. Vomit vomit how great is that well also just how disgusting this is like to watch somebody not only not help you that it's their job and it's what their duty is there's like their sworn oath yeah is to help you and use their knowledge to protect you and help you and whatever and this person is doing exactly the opposite being terrible at it and then getting a raise for it that's just praised by like the higher up that you would go to to point out the problem because because he's done a favor for that higher up. Right. Well, yes. yeah. Allegedly. That's rough. Allegedly. That's oh, the reason. allegedly. Allegedly. Who knows? Okay. I know. Okay. All right. <laughs> Vote Ross Perot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. This has been fun. Let's leave Malik behind. Okay. He okay. sucks. We hate him. Um, but let's dive in, into a different fucking well. What is it? A well? Sinkhole? Let's go let's to another. Let's dive into a different well like the girl from the, the ring. Yes. And come out with a long, black, wet hair and a wet n- nightgown. You will. And it says, I'm fucking married. <laughs> Fuck it. you, I'm married. Fuck you, I'm married. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Clear ahead. This is a new part. Okay. So there's a police report filed seven months after the deaths of Don and Kevin that, that re- reads, quote, confidential informant states that she has been told that uh, the area the two boys died in is a drop zone for dope. All right. Okay. Here we go. Mm-hmm. So, in the years that surrounded the the death of the boys, uh, residents near the tiny town of Me- uh, the tiny Mina Municipal Airport in western Arkansas, it's about two hours from Bryant, where the boys lived. Mina, M E N A. The residents had complained about low flying aircraft late at night. Okay. Here we go. It turns out that Mina was a drug running hub in the 80s and early 90s and was where and this is like this isn't conspiracy this is this is like no yeah like uh, you know proven yes (laughs) that uh like solid testimony that this is a thing that this dude named barry seal who was a cocaine smuggling kingpin operated out of the mina airport okay which is like this tiny air it's not it makes, even an airport. it makes perfect sense though yes because you're not going to be bringing it into you know yeah he's got these little he's got a little cessna i don't know is that a thing sure and yeah it's like a little small place you drop the drugs you fucking go back over to tiny town you pay off people who see stuff and everyone don't like gets it, paid off pay everybody yeah okay exactly so real quick this about barry seal which a like a separate deep fucking dive into this dude he's amazing amazingly awful fascinating okay so, at the point of the, the boy's death, he had already been assassinated by Colombians. Um, so, he's not involved in the murder. It was his setup, though, yeah. Right. So, he, initially, he was hired by the DEA to fly a small, his small plane over the uh, low over, the, over Central American countries taking photos of rebels. So, the DEA was like, take photos, prove that like this drug smuggling cartel shit's going on. Um, but then he became a double agent and began working with the uh, Medellin cartel and smuggling drugs. So, he would go take the photos for the <laughs> DEA, fucking load his car up with fucking drugs later days back over the perfect setup perfect setup i think he eventually became a triple agent and like fucking ratted on the 
cartel. Sure, too. he did. Like, this guy was had no, you know, no honor, none. Um, but what a perfect hiding place is re- like in the DEA's pocket. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost like uh, out of sight. What was that sh- movie? No. Out of sight with Jennifer Lopez and George Clooney. <laughs> no, let's talk about What's it. What's the one with um, Blow oh, so with Johnny cute. Depp? No, yes, but it's similar. What's the he's? Uh, what's the one from? Um, oh Jesus, Ben Affleck Risky and what's the other one? Oh, forget it. Edit that out. It's terrible. But the guessing's fun. <laughs> is it? Is this fun for anyone? Mm, um, just you know, me. What's Casey Affleck's like original partner's name? I have to go from the very beginning. Partner Ben like, Affleck's original partner's name Matt Damon. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean that this Scorsese movie where it's the drug, the drug, um, yes, the yes, DEA yes, agent yes. Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. Oh, it's not Matt Damon. Yes. No, Matt Damon's in it too. Okay. And so is Marky Mark Wahlberg. What is it? What is it? The un. Not the Departed. Oh, it, that's the Departed. It is the Departed. I'm thinking of something else. I was going to say the uninhibited. I'm not joking. <laughs> Some of the best content we've created oh, so my God. far. Edit part of no, that out. No, leave it all in. It's so glorious. I edit Casey Affleck out. <laughs> okay. Leave that in. Okay. <laughs> Please go rent the uninhibited at a red red box near you. <laughs> Wear your pajamas. You wear your pajamas. Wear the your uninhibited is pajamas. the porn version of the departed. <laughs> Catch me if you can. Is that, <laughs> that's what you were trying to think of? Yeah. <laughs> okay yes oh my yep. back hurts from laughing <laughs> did you think leonardo DiCaprio was matt damon I or you were just trying to get there i wouldn't be surprised if i confused the two but i think i was trying to go matt damon got it okay Whew. that was awesome anyways <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 for extra cash okay but of course the, the high ups in the government like and it was like the fbi the cia all the dea they all knew about um barry seal being this you know undercover agent and they also knew secretly that he was a double agent bringing drugs back but they looked the other way for personal gain and they were like well he's doing us some favors it's like the iran contra fucking times yes. like they needed him you dirty know what times I mean? dirty everyone times. could do whatever the fuck they wanted and actually there's a movie starring and i wrote this down so i won't forget <laughs> starring tom cruise that came out like a year or two ago called- risky business <laughs> <laughs> yes and that's secretly about no it's called american made and it's about uh barry seals oh okay. seal did you see that no but he's I'm, flying in planes there's a cute blonde wife i didn't see that one but there was also a movie that i feel like is a similar plot that had um matthew uh mcconaughey uh-huh. and he was the pilot but oh sorry that was about gold not drugs there's one that was made in 91 that was like one of the old timers what like but this is you know before one of the old timers like a barrymore <laughs> john barrymore <laughs> was starring john barrymore lionel barrymore and his brother john <laughs> okay so the drugs are brought in from south america to crazy these like hangars at these like small municipal airports um and that one of them was the tiny mina municipal airport but local authorities who like weren't in on the take were still like noticing it so they put up like lights and kind of like made it so that it wasn't as easy for them so instead of landing at the airport um they started dropping small parcels of drugs across the state and surrounding states from planes like they fucking made their cessnas have fucking doors and shit okay so one of these drop sites was supposedly in a clearing near the tracks where the boys were found. Mm-hmm. 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 
So remember the boys went out like fucking hunting and shit, spotlighting. Do you mind if I say one theory that I have? Absolutely. Just based on the information you've told me so far, they were out in those woods to do their stun hunting or whatever it's called. And there was cops out in those woods trying to find people at the drop off and they killed those boys accidentally and then tried to set it up themselves. Incorrect. Dang it. Well, I just want to throw it out. Incorrect. It gets worse. Ah, dude. And that. Okay. So in the years following the murder of Don and Kevin, a few different eyewitnesses start to come forward slowly, like in the early 90s. And uh, when combined, those, their stories tell the story of what happened that night. Okay. The first person that came forward was a kid named Tommy uh, Nyhouse. At the time of the murders, he's around 12 years old, but he's about 19 when he comes forward finally, uh, or some 18, I don't know. He says that the night of the murders, he was with some friends in the woods by the tracks, and they spotted from the woods and like some bushes they're hiding, and they spot a group of men, a couple men on the tracks. And they're hiding in the bushes, and they witness two boys, Kevin and Don, approaching the men along the tracks, carrying their rifles, just doing, going along, doing their fucking thing. And when Kevin and Don saw the group of men on the tracks further ahead of them the boys hesitate and then start to turn to go around the other way but they're called by one of the men to come towards them and when kevin and don hesitated according to tommy um a shot is fired and they don't know if it's from uh don's gun or like you know a a warning shot something whatever happens kevin and don take the fuck off yeah um tommy this kid recognizes one of the men on the tracks because his mom is dating him. So he's like 100% sure it's him. The man is Uh. Prosecutor Dan Harmon. (gasps) What? Goes back. Remember the dude who was in charge of the grand fucking jury? Yes, I do. And saying I should take care of this? Uh Uh-huh. Saying, put me on this case. I'm going to fucking exhume (sighs) the bodies and and depose these fucking people. What? It's Dan fucking Harmon. What? Mm -hmm. Okay. After coming forward, Tommy passes polygraph tests he's put into protective custody he gives video statements of what he witnessed the night of of kevin and don's murders meaning he's a fucking reliable witness yeah the boys so then the story goes on that the boys based on witness testimony ran into their friend named keith coney who gave him a lift on his motorcycle to the local grocery store to, to a payphone located there so the next part of the story that was observed uh, that had a witness uh, was observed by a man named Ronnie Goodwin, who told state police that he was driving by when he saw two boys in the parking lot of the grocery store. And when and then two uh, two officers showed up and they're unmarked, but re- recognizable that it was a cop car because of the fucking antennas and shit. Uh, they show up in their cruiser. To the boys. Yeah. Ronnie drives past, pulls into another lot, and witnesses the officers beating the two boys, including one of the officers hitting one of the boys with the butt end of a rifle and then throwing them into the back of the cruiser and heading towards a dirt road that leads to the tracks. And this is probably before the grand jury testimonies, like, that had happened is available. So getting hit in the face with a butt of a fucking rifle isn't something that was, like, probably well known. Right, and it's incredibly specific, mm-hmm. and it leaves, as you said, that very specific, like, wound and mark. Exactly. Which I'm sure old Ronnie Goodwin, like, who knows, he could have been the principal of the high school, he could have been the guy that hangs out sure. in the grocery store parking lot. Um, but all of a sudden, that's somebody that has a true fact yeah. that, like, can Lines be corroborated. Up. Exactly. Which is, must be bone-chilling to whoever the 90s cop is that's starting to, like, 
listen to these stories. Dan Harmon. Oh, you mean the ba- <laughs> the good one, not the bad one. You, whoever, right? There's Whoever's a, there, who's ever the detective going, yeah, I'll take, I'll take your statement on this old murder. Well, let me tell you about that. Okay, sorry. They're all in there. It's just so crazy. Okay. Um, so if, eventually, and you'll read about it in The Boys on the Tracks, there's three witnesses that eventually come forward to corroborate the grocery store story. Two of them, two of those witnesses are murdered when they were called to testify about this in the new grand jury t- hearing. There's a what? new grand jury hearing eventually that comes together and two of these guys are murdered. What? Uh-huh. I'll tell you about it in a minute. The next witness to come forward is a woman named, okay, this fucking woman. I mean, love her forever. Her name's Charlene Wilson. And she's basically like the night, like the, what you would have done in the 80s, which is look, if you looked fucking hot and you're like, I'm going to date everyone and do drugs and have the most fun of my Hell life. Oh, yes. And she's this fucking gal and she's just having a blast. She's doing whatever. She's fucking around. Um, Charlene Weiss, uh, Wilson had kind of had a come to Jesus moment and she gave secret testimony to the federal investigation, including a videotape confession as well as a four page confession letter signed in front of three local office officials in May 93. So, once the stuff was over, she had this like, I'm not going to do this shit anymore. Are you sure? And so in 93, she comes forward with her story. So at the time of uh, the Boys on the Tracks murders, Charlene was dating Dan, Dan Harmon. Uh, and she claimed that she had been on the tracks that night with Harmon and a guy named Keith McCaskill, who's a meth dealer and known police informant, and a couple other people, including two fucking local cops for a drug drop. So you saying that the cops accidentally shot them? No, the cops were fucking in on it. The cops were there to fucking be muscle for Dan Harmon and this drug drop. Because, and they were there because she told them in the summer of 1987, so like before, right before this happened, that summer, one of the drugs drops disappeared. So they think that fucking local kids grabbed the drugs and fucking Hell ran. Yes, they did. It's a bag of coke. I mean, yeah. It's a big duffel bag filled it's with blocks a million of million dollars of it's coke. So many parties a in hundred. the parking lot at the grocery store. Exactly. So Dan Harmon, who's like on the who's like the fucking kingpin of this, is fucking pissed off. So he brings out some of his men to watch the delivery on the night that Kevin and fucking Don are walking by. Oh, fuck. And uh, they're expecting a delivery of three to four pounds of cocaine and five pounds of weed. And Charlene was supposed to make the pickup that night, but she had been, quote, highballing, which is a mixture of cocaine and crystal meth. Girl. was totally, quote, strung out. Yeah, you were. Mm-hmm. That's such a crazy combination. <laughs> That's like when you get a, just, yeah. a red eye and you put a shot of espresso into coffee yeah. where it's just like, don't pick a lane. <laughs> You don't. And she, there's an, so there's this really great, not great, I mean, it's this great, it tells you a lot of documentary called um, Obstruction of Justice, The Mean Connection, which is on YouTube. And you, and she's interviewed in it. And this fucking, she's like, she's not in Heavy Metal parking lot because she's fucking backstage with the band. Like, yes. she's the best. And um, she probably got clean, she probably got sober. And then her, and she was just like, kept telling her sponsor, like, like, Sorry, go ahead. No, you, you're on the right track, except that's the sliding glass door, the sliding door theory. Oh, okay. You're right. So she's supposed to make the pickup, highballing. They told her to wait in the car while they go to the drug, like to get pick it up. And she did until she saw the little kid, Tommy, remember him? Yes. Running from the gunshot thing, oh. whatever. It, it, it's a little cloudy. 
Okay. She gets out of the car. She goes over to the, the men who had intercepted a group of boys at the drop site, which is fucking Tommy and Don and maybe their friend Keith. Right. Uh, who was on a motorcycle mm-hmm. and who maybe got away. So according to Charlene, some of them had managed to get away, maybe Keith, but Kevin and Don were captured. And when she got there, Dan Harmon's men interrogated them as they were lying on the ground, face down, hands tied behind their back. And they were kicked and beaten and finally executed. Fuck. Mm-hmm. So Charlene's like, this is the story. She knows it for a fact. Yeah. Shit. There's more to Like, just fucking read it. So the group of men led by Dan Harmon then loaded the rest of the drug drop into the car. They wrapped Kevin and Don up in a tarp from Wilson's car and uh, put them in the trunk of the car. And then they moved, quote, they moved up the track a little ways and removed the boys and laid them across the tracks. And according to Charlene, she says at that point, she freaked out and started running away from the scene. She's like, I'm on meth and coke. And you just fucking killed a bunch of people, like killed two teenage boys. Can you imagine? Also, but just I understand that's just drug use. And she it probably was like by that point, that was just like standard fare for her. But if you have to go do something as stressful as is like a drug drop. Yeah. How how are you on white drugs anyway? And then like, of course, something horrible happens. I mean, it's the answer to a lot of things where it was the 80s. Yes, that's right. That was the 80s. 80s. We didn't know meth was bad for us back then. (laughs) It's totally that. We thought it was it was given to us as a diet pill. It was a fun bump (laughs) just to get you past that midnight era you know uh, <laughs> we've all been there <laughs> oh this is beside this is just me talking shit out of school but she was this chick charlene was also the ex of a man who had been convicted was a convicted drug felon his name was roger clinton uh-oh he was the half-brother of bill clinton oh shit just as just on a side no we heard a lot about roger clinton in the clinton era where yeah. he was he was troublemaker yeah they it were goes. like don't bring him up okay where does this go to the all the fucking t- way the top okay so blah, 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 blah. okay Shit, this is crazy i know Harmon, dan Harmon. so then dan Harmon. then there's this new grand jury that like does convenes to uh fucking figure it out dan Harmon uses that grand jury to find out what he could about who had informed on him so he's in charge of the grand jury and he's calling all these people and getting all these fucking secret documents to find out about what they knew about him which is not can't see can't be legal no um, seems unfair and it, to make it appear least. yeah and make it appear like they were suspects um and the purpose was to discredit those witnesses so that if he ever got arrested and charged with drug uh charges he could uh say that it was retaliation for this grand jury trial so wow. he called everyone he'd ever been in fucking bed with to be like no no they're just retaliating against me now when he has this drug trial later sure that's in uh that's in uh mara leverett's book the boys on the tracks okay so we're getting there we're almost done so keith mccaskill who was the uh one of the guys on the tracks that night who was like the informant and the meth dealer uh before the grand jury they called him to speak at the grand jury he gets stabbed to death in his driveway before he can fucking testify uh, Keith Coney, the boy on the fucking motorcycle, he dies in a mysterious motorcycle crash, crash just a few months, uh, after Don and Kevin had died. And, uh, had, re- he had refused to tell authorities what he knew and saw. And he would only tell his father that, quote, it was the cops who killed Kevin and Don. So he is on his motorcycle. The motorcycle crashes. It looks like he's being chased. He maybe had his, 
uh, throat slit before he crashed, but there was no autopsy. Uh, what's it called? You know, requested. So we don't know. What? Yeah. But the, dran- the grand jury did rule conclusively this time, not probable homicide, but definite homicide uh, about Kevin and Don's murder. Eventually, Dan Harmon finds out about our fucking girlfriend's testimony. And so in 1992, Dan Harmon sets her up and personally busts her for a small amount of drugs plus weapons charges. He fucking set her up. Yeah. He uh, arrests her personally, hands her the fucking like cuffs her, arrests her, even though he'd been dating her and like having her as her his drug meal. Wow. He prosecutes the case against her. This seems unfair. Uh-huh. It's her first drug offense, which usually is fucking probation. Right. He offers her a plea bargain of 116 years. <laughs> she says, go fuck yourself. She gets sentenced to 31 years in jail. I can't tell for sure, but I think she's still fucking there. No. Yeah. It's been 31 years. It's been like 32 years since then. Oh it's been 30 years. Okay. So she, I don't know where she is. It's hard to, f- to find her, which I would do the same thing if I were her. I would be very hard to find. Yes, for real. <laughs> so when anyone of authority tried to look into the case, including a f- this woman, this, another fucking heroine named Jean Duffy, she uh, gets appointed federal narcotics investigator in town. She's newly appointed in the 90s. She starts to, unco- she's told like, don't, hey, her like, hiring command is like don't look hey just have like welcome to the office like good luck with everything here's a fucking cactus or whatever by the way don't look into any drug charges against uh anyone in our like circle like anyone in in um you know our jurisdiction yeah yeah just don't look into just don't do that okay goodbye enjoy your fucking ficus which then anybody yeah and normal would be like i'm just i guess i'm gonna just look through a couple of these files and real quick. she's interviewed in this fucking uh documentary and she's just like the loveliest 90s haired woman you've ever seen sure so uh she da, 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 da. so she's newly appointed in the 90s she starts to uncover the cover-up of the boy's death dan Harmon fucking loses his shit and starts to go on the attack uh, and she, when she realizes he's part of it, he leads a smear campaign against this lovely fucking woman with 90s hair, accusing her of everything from embezzling funds to child abuse. And the paper, the newspapers and the fucking journalists are like in on it. And like anything Dan Harmon says about her, they'll fucking print. Yeah. So uh, then he tries to subpoena her to find out everything she had on him, including secret informants. And she's like, you can't do that uh she starts to fear for her fucking life because she refused to turn shit over which is a which meant she would have gone to prison and she got like a secret informant was like hey they're gonna kill you in prison that's their fucking plan yeah so she goes into fucking hiding eventually after a long shit she becomes a teacher in texas which is like yeah dude don't don't and that 90s hair is like it's now it's some weirdly 50s hair I bet it's the exact same <laughs> but fucking Jean Duffy that poor woman would have like a great career as like a fucking honorable person instead I mean that's talk about like there's a podcast I want to listen to yeah is all the people that went in to like yes. that, those kind of positions with noble intentions and got caught up in shit like 100%. this 100% and like people quit when she because she got fired from her job because she couldn't do her job correctly because Dan Harmon was waging this war against her so like five of her informants like uh you know not informants but they were like cops who were like 
on her side yeah Yeah. they fucking quit so those dudes like would have had these incredible jobs and ladies all right so almost i swear in 1996 dan Harmon finally gets fucking caught for his shit he's convicted of racketeering conspiracy extortion and drug possession with intent to distribute he gets 10 years he's released in nine years and then he got arrested and drug charges again in 2010 i can't tell i think he's still in prison Mm. but like everything turns out he was completely uh, fucking drug kingpin this whole time wow later in the 2000s and on uh, one of the police officers who was alleged to have been on the tracks that night and beaten and taken to the boys to the tracks uh this guy named jay campbell who had like gotten higher and higher and up he and his wife were arrested on many drug charges and sentenced to decades long terms in jail so like they're all fucking in on this yeah the families of kevin and don are still not receiving cooperation from the sailing county sheriff who happens to be a guy named rodney wright who is he he's fucking dan Harmon's nephew no Mm As recently as 2016, Linda Ives, who has not fucking given up the fight, has filed suit against multiple government agencies for refusing to answer her Freedom of Information Act requests and for withholding info in regards to the death. So she's still fucking on this shit. The government's responded to her suit by asking the court to dismiss the suit because it's an on because it's an ongoing investigation. And the case is still open to this day. She says it's not a political issue with her because they were never a political family. But uh, until the Arkansas political machine reached into their lives and destroyed the tranquility that they had as a family. Yes. And that's the fucking boys on the tracks. The fucking tip of the iceberg. Fuck. I, I mean... Dude. But because I have to say, when I saw that on, I'm sure it was Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, yeah. Um, where l- l- all that stuff where it's just like the weirdest, it's clearly a setup of trying to make it seem like boys committed suicide right. when they were dead. And it only worked because everyone was in the pocket of everyone else. Yeah. And like when you look at that as a person who reads a lot of true crime or whatever, you're like, well, one of the options is there's a really bizarre serial killer that yeah. likes to kill people and then confuse people, which is like, you've never heard of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like, it doesn't line up with any of that. Yeah. It completely lines up with cover up with. You and know, I know like some people are like, I don't like conspiracy theories, but it's like, this is the only fucking thing. This like makes more sense than the boys anything this doesn't this is the thing that oh like every little puzzle piece goes in space it's not a fucking conspiracy theory there's proof that all of these people you know they all went to prison later they all were in each other's pockets malik got fucking like fired and promoted to something else when bill clinton became president like everyone and he did fucking uh get bill clinton's mother out of you know all this legal bullshit and like dan Harmon did fucking was like it's proven that he was like the judge was in on the take the fucking it's not a conspiracy well i mean it's it's actually a true conspiracy theory right it's like the there are and that's the thing we're starting to learn these days more and more is a lot of conspiracy theorists were right and just totally. because they were freaked out by it or like, yeah. you know, weirdos you like us. Shit, like the Wormwood, like on Netflix, it's like, yeah, they, it's actually a known fact that they, the CIA gave LSD to people who didn't know about it to see how they would react. That's not me being like a fucking weirdo conspiracist. Right. That's, that's the truth. It's simply the truth. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people who are like, I don't like conspiracy theories are the kind of people who are like, I don't all, I also don't like the truth. Right. I just want something that's not going to rock the boat or like freak me out. But or they, cons- they confuse like aliens with 
the government doing something nefarious. Also, small town, like we're talking about yeah. small town Arkansas. Yeah. So this is, you know, families, relatives, everybody who knows people. It's all, that's all those relationships are. That's how a lot of those towns operate. Yeah, yeah. Is like, I'm the sheriff now. You're going to be the sheriff when I die. Yeah. Every, we're going to keep all the secrets exactly where we have them and nobody mess around. And like, I mean, honestly, what a great way to con- like conceal a murder. Yes. So, you know, the train's coming at four fucking 30 and still in the dark. How do we hide this? God, you know, rotten. Dan Harmon was high as f- he was probably on. What is it called? The speed ball, too. Oh, yeah. They take it a little too far and they kill the boys. What's a great way to fucking hide this? It's not. A, it's not like. It would have worked if the fucking train conductor had never seen the boys. That's right. That's or, what they thought was going to happen. Or if the medical examiner had been legit and was like, you know, no, this blood is old. There are these wounds. Like if the parents had been people who believed in the government or hadn't, you know, raised a fuss. And how many did get away with it? You know what I mean? Like how many out there that they're like Linda Ivers wasn't there to fucking scream about it. That's right. And call vomit on everything. That's right. Yeah. No, that's amazing. And horrifying, obviously. Yeah. Crazy. I think that's one of the, my favorite ones. That that's amazing. Well, also because it's very satisfying. Yeah. The oh. second you start talking about like the low, low plane drops of drugs. Yeah. We're like, all right, now we're in a whole different thing. This is not small town America. I want to give, um, there's an unexplained-mysteries.com website. And there's a dude named, how, do you, how would you say? Or I'm sorry, a person. It might be a lady. I don't know. Let's see. It's a French word. Lumiex? Lemieux. Lemieux. Mm-hmm. Who like broke it the fuck down in a way that was like, he did or he or she did a thing that was like based on all these people's testimonies here's what happened and like told the story in a perfect way and like i love that it was great because i can't even tell you how much like how many fucking sites i've been to for this it's really fun like it's a fun rabbit hole yeah that's great yeah really fascinating yeah and of course the boys in the tracks by mara leverett let's all read it it's our new book yeah that sounds good (gasps) oh my god fired up now also then it makes me think of like i wonder if all those you know there's that there's an area i think it well i'm sure every state has one but like there's that triangle in massachusetts where it's like crazy shit happens and don't go there it's haunted (gasps) and all that stuff and it's like that could be a drug drop like I wonder how many things like that that are like urban areas of like yeah. the Blair Witch lives here and then all the kids are like go there but then don't go any closer because people get killed or whatever and it's just like don't go no, here because is, yeah we we're just shipping cocaine into this little cabin it makes me think that what's that place uh where all the Columbia <laughs> no where all the cocaine comes from no I know that one really well uh <laughs> what's the one where like they go and molest children it, the uh, the Federal Credit Union. Oh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, what's that place called? The Federal Credit Union. Oh, no, it's no. it's the name of the credit union, right? No, no, no. But yeah, it's the uh, Bohemian Grove. Bohemian Grove. Thank you. <laughs> that Bohemian Grove's in California. Is that where they go? There's a great uh, last podcast on the left about that whole story. What's the Federal Credit Union that they talk about? No, that's the one the that's Nebraska. Johnny Gosh. Yes. Ugh. Um, it's Johnny Gosh, but then the Bohemian Grove is basically insanely rich leaders, and it's right by where I grew up. Jesus. Yeah, I know people that have, like, worked there as cater waiters and stuff, um, but they ha- they do all this weird shit, and it's very secretive. Can they have a cater waiterinos and tell us what really <laughs> fucking happens there on Facebook? I will join that subgroup immediately. <laughs> Bohemian <Cater-ino>. Grove <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's people that say 
the only reason there's people talk about it so much is just because it's all these rich politicians and millionaires and all this stuff. Yeah. And then there's the other people who are like, oh, no, they have full on pagan rituals and they, mm. they kill children or whatever it is. And who knows what the truth of it is. I love it. It's just also fascinating. It goes all the way to the top and we're never going to Arkansas. Sorry, Arkansas. Uh, <laughs> but I now I'm not allowed. I'm like not allowed there anymore because of the story. I feel because like. of how many people you called a fucking idiot uh-huh. in the story. <laughs> I just implicated everyone in this. And also Dan Harmon's going to get a text at 2 a.m. of like, I heard that the girls on My Favorite Murder are talking shit on you, Dan. Like Dan Harmon, Harmontown? Yes. Oh, no. Leave From- Dan Harmontown alone. <laughs> I went to his wedding. He's a lovely man. We love Dan Harmontown. Yeah. Um, that's it. What's your? What do you want to blend right into your hooray? I just have a quick one because this was so fucking long. Uh, and speaking, and it, it actually blends into the the uh, mansions of the Gilded Age. Yes, Instagram. I actually Vince tagged me in a thing called an Instagram called Cheap Old Houses <gasps> that I just am obsessed with on Instagram, and it's just a someone who posts houses that are under a hundred grand but they're like seven grand to like a hundred grand that like old victorians that you have to go live in like wherever the fuck bum fuck maybe fucking arkansas yeah but they're these and they show you through the house so it's and they're empty but it looks a little bit like uh abandoned porn which i love but also a little bit like i would change the wallpaper in here it's just like it's a deep dive check it out crazy cheap old house. You can also, along the same lines, watch the movie The Money Pit, starring Tom <gasps> Hanks. exactly that! And Goldie Hawn? And, no, no, it was, uh, it's Diane oh, from Cheers. You're right. Oh. I, my friend Jennifer Geary and I watched that movie a hundred so times. So good. Loved it so much. Loved it. Um, well, mine this week is, uh, I just got super crazy. My friend Dave Mesmer, God bless you, Dave. He's been my friend forever. We were college roommates. Um, he told me to watch Schitt's Creek like a year ago. And I, it, I think it's because of the title. I was like, mm, I'm not into that broad stuff or whatever. <laughs> I started watching it yesterday. I watched it for two full days straight. I love it. It is my fucking favorite. There's three seasons of it on Netflix. <gasps> it's so brilliant. And it is, um, it was created by Eugene Levy and his son, <sighs> um, Daniel. His real name is Daniel Levy, but on the show, his character's name is David, and his sister's constantly going, ew, David! And it's my favorite. Um, and and it's, it's Eugene Levy, and what's her face? And Catherine O'Hara plays like, the how, mother. I would watch anything they're in. It is so good. It is so well-written, and it starts out like, you know, the rich people that fall, and then they have yeah, to live yeah. like poor people, which we've seen it before. So I, in my judgy, judgy TV writer way I'm like I don't have time for it it's so hard joke funny the characters are so good crazy Catherine O'Hara's accent (sighs) alone I could watch it like I'm already planning on rewatching all of it well I told you I was looking through this because you told me that earlier and there's a Schitt's Creek Arena wait where is it Oh shit! Shitterinos, S C H I T T E R I N O S. There's a Shitterinos fucking Facebook group. I love it. So you're gonna join that. There's Mimi. I'm in it already. Here to tell us it's over. Um, you guys, yeah. thanks for listening to this long episode. This that was is, how how long, Stephen? This isn't even the longest episode. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like because it was so much fun, it doesn't feel that long. Yeah, that's right. This was great. Um, it was only three hours and ten minutes. Yeah. Thanks, you guys, for listening. Thank we you so much for listening. Love you for being here with us. And we have the best time. Yep. What a joy. What a joyous occasion. Stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, here he is. The star of Sage and Screen. Elvis, want cookie?
Good boy. Yeah. Oh.